Hello, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. We've got a good show for you today. My name is Adam Ismail, and today I'm joined by... Brendan Morrison, and um, Adam, you don't have to hear me blether on myself today, because we've also got a special guest who has made some fantastic YouTube videos in the, the genre that we specialise in. Um, she goes into incredible detail on a lot of the games that we talk about and some of the lesser known elements, including cool ports and all that type of thing. Uh, Casey, welcome to the Time Extend community. Hi, thanks for having me. Fantastic. I mean, I don't know about you, Adam, but this is a this is a cool moment for me because um, the amount of knowledge that I've gained from your videos, Casey, it's pretty incredible. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see what you can bring today. <laughs> That's, that's that's funny you say that because like I, I I really enjoy listening to podcasts. It's kind of how I learn about games uh, that I'm interested in, and I don't know. It just kind of comes to like a like deep diving into games is one of my favorite things to do. So like I don't know. I, it kind of doesn't hurt me that not everybody does that. Like I don't know. It's just interesting to me that you say that. So thank thank you very much. I'm I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah, I mean doing these Need for Speed shows. Um... You know, the first episode, we kind of just sort of uh, stayed in our lane and just talked about the ones that we knew really well. I, I think this show's going to be kind of like that, too, but um, it's more about, like, covering the, the, the aspects of the franchise that we know but maybe don't know as well. Uh, and you are so, like, broadly versed on this topic from your YouTube videos and covering, like, as Brendan said, like, weird ports of, of some of those Need for Speed games that nobody has played um that i'm really curious about your thoughts on uh, carbon own the city but but no i'm, I'm oh actually boy. <laughs> we, we can save that for another show uh, <laughs> i do have thoughts on that one so <laughs> let me know when you're ready for that yeah so so the first episode like i said it's uh you know we, we only talked about three games this one's gonna be a little bit broader <clears throat> and that first show was uh it was called like the best of Need for Speed. I don't think it was actually like the best, but it was the ones that we were most well equipped to talk about. Because <laughs> uh, this one's going to range from you know games that we, I, I think we generally like all the games that we're about to talk about today. Um, they're just you know they're maybe more sort of middle of the road, or it's maybe more if they did an interesting thing, uh, or it's maybe more about the significance. I think it's definitely true of the first two games we're going to talk about, um, and then. The, the topic that we're not covering this episode, which, uh, Casey, I know you especially know a lot about, but Brendan and I are still kind of in the dark, is Underground. Because uh, I was watching your videos on that, and I, I meant to get a copy of that, like, two weeks ago, and it just never happened. I think I was, like, bidding for one on eBay, and then it quickly got out of control. And I'm just like, <laughs> there's probably, like, more copies of Need for Speed Underground 1 and 2 in the world than, like... I don't know any other racing game from this time. So I'm kind of amazed. <laughs> like, I still have to pay $20 for this game, but whatever. Um, so I still have to source a copy of, of my own for that, definitely. I, I, I think it might be only contested by like Gran Turismo 3. That might yeah, be the exactly. only game there's more yeah. copies of. Yeah, and like I was looking at the sales, and, and we'll definitely talk about like how the series evolved through the show, obviously, but like looking at the sales from like. I guess it was Hot Pursuit 2 to, like, Underground 1. It's like this game, all of a sudden, this franchise now sold, like, five times as many copies. <laughs> like, like in the space of, like, a year. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, uh, it was a big deal for it to make that jump. But uh, it's, it's just kind of fascinating how 
they it, it, it was this is a series that has constantly reinvented itself and we're going to talk about that through the show i'm sure because we have a wide spectrum of games we're talking about here um but it, it's a series that has continually reinvented itself and that's something i've kind of talked about in the past is it's never been the same from game to game each game has always had its own identity and its own kind of theme even though even within the like the the like the subtopic of underground import tuner racing, the games still feel like they have different themes to them and different ideas that like create a different atmosphere. And that's something I love about the series is that it's always created an atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if Underground could ever compare to Brendan's favorite street racer, Juice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't. Honestly, every single stream I've been doing recently, people have been asking for juice, and um, I'll go on the record and say that's not going to be happening anything. It's not going to be happening. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it because I've never played that game except for Juice 2 on the PSP, which is probably like, I don't know, just, just making probably a not-so-great game, I assume, even yeah. worse. <laughs> I mean, conceptually, it, it did try some cool stuff with the pink slip races and stuff, but like... I always remember the gaming magazines at the time, that was all they would talk about. They wouldn't talk about the gameplay or the racing. It'd just be like, you can gamble your car. <laughs> it's like, well, if I don't enjoy driving to gamble my car, then um, uh, yeah, not a good game that makes, I suppose. In 2001, when Fast and Furious came out and everybody all of a sudden learned what a pink slip was, that just, that just drove the, the racing game <laughs> genre off the rails for like the next seven years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, um, God, this was a couple years ago. I went to like a retro game store in my area looking for a copy of Juice 2 for the 360. No, 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 I was buying the PS2 version because I remember him saying you should get the, the, the 360 version uh, because the online still works and the online is supposedly really cool. Like with the pink slip racing and the betting and all that. I'm sure it's just absolutely dominated by people who've been playing the game for the last 15 years at this point, but. Yeah, I have to figure out um, how to like play some of those old games uh, online. And I'm not even talking about Need for Speed, but like I know, um, was it? There's that Xbox, it's like Kai or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can yeah. you can play games like Project Gotham Racing Two and stuff like that online. That'd be really cool because I I I was too young to really play those games back in the day uh, in that kind of context. But when we did the PGR show and Alex was on, he was just talking about like his memories, like growing up playing like pgr2 online i'm just like i feel like i missed an era so yeah i was born in 99 so it's like a i was 11 when xbox live 1.0 shut down and at that age you're too young to care about anything other than the latest and greatest i think the only original xbox game i played online was like star wars republic commando so i missed out on that whole generation of uh racing game online multiplayer um, and yeah, you can still go back and experience a lot of it with Kai or other programs on PC, but definitely not the same. Yeah. Yeah, you'll just keep racing against the same three people over and over again. <laughs> yeah, basically, and all the rankings are gone, and you can't yeah. really, like, do all, like, the, the betting and stuff. Right. Uh, well, alright, I feel like we could just, like, talk about anything, and this could be, like a free practice and we could just yeah. you know <laughs> rip off each other for the next hour but we have a show to do um so the idea that that seems to make the most sense for this show is just to cover the games chronologically because we're kind of going to be spanning the whole series so uh yeah. casey you want to leave with your first one 
Right, so um, I figured what better place to start than The Need for Speed. That was its title, and no, I'm not <laughs> adding the the. <laughs> it's, it's actually <laughs> Roden Track presents The Need for Speed. I so love this, that. This entire <laughs> series was born from a magazine partnership, and oh. um, even stranger than that, this entire series was originally an exclusive to a single platform, and it wasn't the PlayStation, and it wasn't the PC, it was the 3DO. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just really weird to think about this game you can go and purchase on a shelf in a a Walmart right now in 2020 was born from the 3DO company of all things. It's just really bizarre because that that thing just kind of flopped hard. And um, so yeah, it was kind of Trip Hawkins' pet project. And there's a lot of really good uh, like racing games on the 3DO. Uh, I say that, but comes to, what comes to mind is this and uh, Road Rash, but yep. yeah, uh, so the reason I never purchased a 3DO is because I know that I can play both of those games on a Saturn, so there's no point. <laughs> but... yeah, that, yeah, that's a weird thing is that, like, um, in the case of Need for Speed, like, this game was on 3DO, PlayStation, and Saturn. They just ported it to whatever 32-bit console seemed like it was going to win, and immediately after the 3DO came out... And then the PS, uh, the PlayStation 1, and the Saturn were a thing. It was like, well, we can forget about that now. And they just poured that <laughs> game to those other platforms. And I'm actually really curious. I know there are, like, comparison videos online. I know how the Saturn and the PlayStation versions uh, perform compared to each other because I've played them both, and I've also, like, watched the videos. But I wonder, like, how much worse the 3DO one is because the, the 3DO one seems to have, like, because that was more of like a multimedia system like it still does the 3d polygons and everything but it has way more like full motion video clips like before and after every race and their characters and it just looks really silly yeah so it it runs worse in terms of performance and all that but it is interesting how clearly designed for the 3do this game was from Mm. like the like the absolute basics it has all like so the road and track partnership meant that they did all these cool things with like um basically adding like a small encyclopedia about these cars so like there's all kinds of images and i if i'm not mistaken this was the first instance where uh the narrator would read you facts about the cars um and but there's also like you said the full motion video and that character you mentioned his name is the x-man um, <laughs> oh, I forgot he had a name. <laughs> and he's just like the, the, the douchiest, more than you can afford pal guy in the world. Uh. And he's just tormenting you the entire time. And it's it's kind of hilarious. Like, he is. Because if I'm not mistaken, the 3D. I've never played the 3DO version, so I could be wrong about this. No one has. They don't exist. Yeah, I saw a 3DO in, my, in that retro shop I was talking about once, and I was just kind of like, it's like seeing a unicorn. Or like a stock a stock Honda Civic from 2002. Um, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he he torments you, but uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting, like that how clearly tailored it was for that console, and that only some of that made the jump. Because I think maybe the first PC release had uh, the X Man, but nothing after that did. So he's not in the Saturn, not in the PS One, and uh, I'm pretty sure on the 3DO you could only race against that one opponent. Versus on the, mm. I know on the PS One you can have a whole pack. So that's one major improvement I feel they added to it between releases. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I haven't played the 3DO one, but I've seen a couple clips, and the way you describe the X Man, I'm just thinking of like Need for Speed's version of Gary Oak. 
Like he always follows you around. <laughs> he's always a little bit better than you, and he's just like a fucking prick, and you hate him. <laughs> yeah. He picks the opposite color car of yours. <laughs> Every single time. Every single uh, time. Um, Brendan, have you ever played the first game? Um, it's one of these ones I've probably played it in passing at some point, but I'd be lying if I said I had any uh, substantial memories or fun times with it. The thing I distinctly remember um, ties into what Casey was saying in the sense that it almost... The parts of it I remember do feel like a car catalogue in some senses, just mm-hmm. like the overall vibe of the game and the, the imagery especially, I think. It's so strange looking back on it like this, but I just remember being wowed by real-life images of cars and games, as silly as that sounds, especially Absolutely. for the concept cars and stuff, because um, obviously I remember later games a bit more but just that first experience of like holy shit this really fucking cool car actually exists it was pretty <laughs> wild to see back then especially because as far as uh, car media went you, you pretty much seen what was on tv and films and that was it whereas through video games we were able to have a bit more exposure to the the kind of underbelly of car culture and i think video games especially have played a large part in making some of the biggest heroes of car culture happen and Need for Speed were definitely at the forefront of that, even when from their very initial first release. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's really interesting to talk about as we as we discuss the beginning of this series is that like you know Gran Turismo is often attributed with like making people, especially like people our age, like a lot more knowledgeable about cars growing up and everything, and and that's you know it's totally fair. Um, but I think the early Need for Speed games have a lot to do with that too, because before this, I don't really remember a game that had cars from a bunch of different manufacturers where you also had specs for all of those cars and like a gallery of images you could look at yeah and like someone talking about the car and informing you about it like i know there were like those um like those lotus challenge games or whatever on like the 16-bit consoles and on the pc (laughs) but a lot of the times you had to have like a you know it was like a one like the game was licensed for one manufacturer it was basically Mm -hmm. an advertisement for that manufacturer and so you know, it kind of helped them out, whereas this was more of a global approach and was, like, really just trying to leverage the whole multimedia fad of, like, the mid-90s to make people a lot more knowledgeable about cars, which seems gimmicky, but actually was really, really cool. Um, when we talk about Need for Speed 2, this is going to be a, a massive part of, of, like, my history with that game. Uh, but it really, it starts with the first one. Um, <laughs> I think I think part of the issue is that... Uh, I don't know, at least for me, this first game is really only notable for that reason. I never particularly enjoyed playing it. It's just very sort of bland <laughs> in a way that like <laughs> no future Need for Speed games ever really are. Um, it's definitely its own thing. De- they were definitely kind of figuring out the kind of game that they wanted to be. Uh, I think what's interesting is it's just, it's actually more realistic, I think, than probably like any game in this early part of the series save for maybe like porsche unleashed like it's just um it's really just you're on the highway and there are other racers and occasionally but they're cops in this one right they show up sometimes if i remember correctly yes it's been a while yeah Yeah. and that's really it it's pretty and it's not like you know it's not the elaborate like police chases and pursuits of like future games you're not getting chased by a helicopter there aren't spike strips it's just like you're There's racing some other people. There's a cop, and uh, also <laughs> the road goes on for like 
like 10 miles and barely has any turns and just good luck it's it's more or less a drag race <laughs> and that one cop does that whole thing where if he pulls in front of you it forces your car to pull over like in the old dos games mm. which is really interesting oh, and this yeah, game yeah. does have dos roots so i'm not sure if y'all were aware of this but um the test drive games because test drive 4 came out in 97 and that was like the first of the 3d ones but the third test drive game was 1990 Oh, and wow. <laughs> um, so Test Drive 1 and 2 were made by um, Distinctive Software, and they were uh, owned by, In I don't know if they were owned by Infogram, it was back when Infogram, before the Accolade acquisition, that was who that was. And then they made Test Drive 1 and 2, and then Test Drive 2 was so good at providing like a realistic car experience that Sega was like, hey, make OutRun on DOS for us. And oh wow! Okay. Distinctive used part of their source code for Test Drive Two to make Sega's Outrun port, and Accolade was like, "Don't like that," and sued them. So oh, they won up. the suit, but Accolade was like, "We're not working with you anymore." So that's why that team ended up being purchased by EA, and that's the team that went on to make this game. So that's why if you've played the the '80s Test Drive games. They are basically, if you were to demake Need for Speed 1 into a Genesis game or like an Amiga game, Test Drive 2 is what you'd get. So this game is really just directly, it, it, to me, like it's, it's like the stair step from what Need for Speed will become with 2 and 3 and onwards from the 80s DOS roots, where it's just real simplistic, you're in a car, uh, and it's like a real licensed car, and there's like spec sheets and all that. It, it's just a stair step of just that car worship, and that's something that's made this series special for me, like for as long as I can remember. Is it's always been about the cars, and as someone who grew up just being around cars and loving cars and all that, it was like this was the franchise for me because it was like a fun arcadey racer, but where where like. Ridge Racer and all that were fun, but didn't grab me quite as hard. Like, the ability to drive real cars that I saw on the road or in magazines or on TV in the video game is kind of what always hooked me. So, it's just really interesting to see how that's always been the case from day one, as far as, like, the detailed interiors and all of that. Jesus, I, I actually didn't know about the link between those two series. Uh, and yeah. I've never really played the, the first couple Test Drive games. I what little test drive I have played were those, you know, the, the first 3D ones on the PlayStation, which I think are really poor. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that, but uh, I think that really turned me off from, from ever experiencing more of the series. I do like how the second one is called, the second one's like The Duel, right? Or is right, that, because the yeah, first yeah. one didn't have opponents. The first one was just a time <laughs> trial. Because it was 1987, what do you want from him? That game right, was just exactly. like a... It was like yeah. a technical marvel that you could do it. Like, it was just... Yeah. If you play that thing, like, it's like playing something in, like, 5 FPS. But instead of being your computer crapping out, it's intended to play like that. Because that's what, <laughs> that's what computers at the time could muster. Like, the sure. Genesis port of Test Drive 2 is probably one of the slowest racing games I've ever played. <laughs> I want and, to and, play and, it now. <laughs> you, yeah, it, it, I recommend playing it for like a, like a few minutes. It's really not anything so special that it demands um, 
like hours of playtime or analysis or anything. It's, it's honestly more of a novelty unless you grew up with it. But it's it's interesting to see like even how they were pushing the envelope then as far as like the detailed interiors and like um, the whole thing and then for speed one where whenever you would shift gears, the gear shift would come up on the screen. That was Oh yes, yeah, that yeah. was weird. That cool. was a test drive holdover. Um, ah. and fun fact about that, so Road and Track was like so integral with the development of this game as far as like the stat sheets and the narration and the car bios stuff like that they did stuff as minute as recording what each individual car's like shift lever sounded like so <laughs> when you hear the shift noise in new speed one you are hearing a toyota supra's shifter or a corvette's Jeez. shifter it's, oh, it's wow. just kind of wild how granular they got with this game yeah, that is that is so cool, and I totally forgot about the shift lever popping up on the screen. Um, yeah, it, it's just awesome that they went to that level of detail, and it's not something that I think if you played a more recent Need for Speed game, you would never have thought that that series, that that beginning, turned into where what it is now, and and the series it ended up being. Um, I think that's the kind of like granularity that you'd expect from like a Gran Turismo or something like that. Uh, so it would surprise a lot of people to know that. And it's it's totally something you can forget because, like, uh, I don't really think this is anyone's favorite. Um, so it's kind of that game that I'll go back to. I think I actually sold my Saturn copy, and I don't really know why I did that, but I did. <laughs> um, and I think it's a game that I will just go back to maybe once every six years to remember what that was like <laughs> and then move on with my life. It's yeah. definitely an occasional novelty for me. Um so, Ben, you have something to say, right? No, I was just going to say, like, um, I've been saying for quite some time that I want to go back and play through all the, the mainline Need for Speeds, purely because, just reminiscing about what I can remember about these titles, it's true, that level of granular detail, it kind of ties into the idea that it had that uh, car magazine in the title as well initially, because... There would have been some subscriber to Car and Driver, like, oh, that's definitely the Toyota Supra Shifter. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's not like... I read Grand... this magazine every day, so I know what the sound <laughs> of a Toyota Supra Shifter is. I mean, if, you, if you're that into cars and stuff, like, you can just imagine, like, in this game, they were like, we need to try and get the essence of a car magazine into a video game. How do we do that? And that's the type of irrelevant granular detail. It's just like this is what separates us from those um, audacious outrun games and <laughs> all those. It was definitely um, a game just... for car nerds. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's just like it's just a, a love letter, basically, to the people who really, really want to have that level of granular detail. So almost, you could say, based on my experience that I can vaguely recall. It isn't so much about the driving on the track. Like you say, that's fairly simplistic. I think it's just the, the overall package had a nice level of polish to it, especially in that generation as well, because it'd be kind of difficult to think of other racing games that probably had that level of detail. Obviously, Gran Turismo would kind of commodify it to a certain extent because anything that came after that point had to, to basically play well and look good. Whereas, <laughs> I think... Need for Speed One was actually an outlier in that kind of in that generation, or so I recall, anyway. Yeah, and and Need for Speed One and Two, um, they kind of feel more like really, really nice interactive brochures than games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which yeah. again sounds 
bad, but actually is part of the reason that I got into the series in the first place when I was so young. I was just so impressed by all of the knowledge being thrown at me that it felt like the game was a really big deal and that all of the cars in the game were a really big deal. Um, so yeah, that, that, that pretty much sums up my feelings. Uh, I don't want to cut you off, Case, if you have anything more to add about, about the first game. There is something I've been saving, and this is actually something I've been saving far longer than I even knew it was going to be on the podcast. This is something I've been <laughs> avoiding mentioning because I want to make a video about it, and I don't want anybody else to make a video about it first, because no one has. But okay, we won't the gear, <laughs> the, No, no, it's fine, because the gear that allows me to make this video is coming, like, today. So I'm cool. ready. Um, there are some other games from Need for Speed 1 that we never got in America. Have either mm. of you ever heard of Overdriven? Yes. So that's the Japanese game. Right. Um, yeah. I have a. I should have brought pull it down so I could look at it while I talk about it. Um, Overdriven GTR on the Saturn, mm -hmm. and then uh, Overdriven Skyline Memorial on the PS One. <laughs> the same game. <laughs> they are Nissan One Make racing games that are just oh Need God. for Speed One, but all of the cars are replaced with Skylines and other performance <laughs> Nissan cars. So weird. It's wow, the most bizarre so thing in the world because they're different games. They are not the same. They are like Overdrive and GTR has a different car list than Skyline Memorial. And they're just both of them are Need for Speed One of every other regard. So mm. it's just kind of wild to me that that exists, and I've never heard anybody else talk about it. <laughs> and that's like something really strange. It's just like, how did these two entries from a series that is beloved to this day, and people are still playing and talking about, and there's like this massive following of especially their history from like the 90s and 2000s, no one talks about these two like Nissan Skyline specific video games. Yeah, and, and EA did a lot of weird things like that, uh, I think, early in, like, the Need for Speed franchise. Like, I think um, I think it was High Stakes where they replaced one of the cars with uh, an R34 GTR. I think it was an R34. It might be an R33, um, depending on when that game came out. Uh, but only in Japan. I don't I, That huh. car doesn't show up in any other version of the game in any other region and the interesting thing is um i think i think high stakes when you get to the end you have some race cars uh and one of them actually is like the penzoil uh gtr from super gt and it's in the need for speed game but you would oh, never cool. know it unless you played that version of it and i think i think in japan it was called overdrive and four i think that was I think Overdrive and 4 was the last time that they used that name. And then looking forward, I don't know how many more Need for Speed games uh, released in Japan afterwards. Um, I think it was kind of spotty. But but yeah, it's uh, it's really cool that that exists. And it's something I'd, I'd love to play. I mean, it probably won't be difficult to just like snag a ROM someplace. Uh, but I just right, it emulates to do well. It. Yeah, yeah. I did find a copy of it. I have a Japanese Saturn, so I'm looking forward to playing through the G uh, the Saturn one at some point. I've been putting it off just because I haven't had a good way to capture Saturn until today. So I'm very excited for that. Um, as far That's as so the other cool. Japanese ports, um, I'm not sure if Hot Pursuit 2 came to Japan, but I know that Underground 1 got a uh, Japanese exclusive port called, uh, called J-Tune. 
and it was basically the same game, but it had different cover art, and they replaced some of the in-game vinyl with a with a vinyl from Art Factory, like the actual Japanese graphics company, which is like it, it's sounds cool like the that, best like, version of the game. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've not been able to play <laughs> it, it personally just because I've been too lazy to burn a disc of it, and doesn't I can't get that to emulate properly. But I find it really fascinating the way that like EA in the '90s and 2000s was like really really cool about the way they handled porting games for the Japanese market where they would add things that made it appealing to the Japanese market and was like yeah because like in the 90s we didn't have our import craze that we have now we had like the Dodge Viper was what everybody wanted to drive so like Americans got the Viper and then <laughs> the, the Japanese people got the Skylines and I think it's kind of funny yeah. to see that go both ways too um like when when they report american game or japanese games to america like automodelista when it came out in america was a huge thing on the branding of that game when it was now the u.s tuned version and it had a dodge <laughs> viper on the cover now instead of whatever else was there before that's just really fascinating to me so that's a little bit of a tangent but yeah i think it went from an rx7 to uh it was viper. An RX7, but right? but the viper on the cover of the of the u.s one looks pretty good so i won't, <laughs> it it does. I won't fault them for that um yeah, I hope you guys are ready for a long show because I think that's that's the way that we're going. Except I have no problem with that because uh, I've <laughs> oh, got yeah. nothing else to do, and this is going to be good. I, I had a feeling that was going to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, in that case, we will move right along to Need for Speed Two, uh, and this was my introduction to the series. Um. It's an interesting development from the first game because it does kind of carry over that sort of uh, car magazine brochure sort of mentality. Uh, it has a very... Casey, in one of your videos, I noticed that you, you said that like the first Need for Speed had like very North American roots, and that's totally true. I mean, it was, it was produced by a Canadian development team, right, and, and published by mm -hmm. EA. Uh, Need for Speed 2 feels very worldly, and that's something that I don't think you really got from racing games or really anything back in the day. And and it's a it's a through line that really carries through the entire game because you have all these tracks. I mean, there's like six tracks in the original version Need for Speed 2. There was a PC port uh, called Need for Speed 2 SE that added a lot of content, and I'll talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit later. Um, but you know, this game came out in 97, it had six tracks and, uh, well, six tracks. And then there was one bonus track, uh, which is a really interesting bonus track, but <laughs> they're all based in different parts of the world. Um, you know, you have a track in Norway, you have a track in Australia, you have one in Greece, uh, you have one in Nepal and in each track, um, the, the soundtrack changes completely, uh, the soundtrack of this game was composed by uh, Ron DePrisco and Saki Kaskas, who unfortunately, uh, I think Saki Kaskas uh, passed away uh, two years ago or, or something like that. 2016. Yeah, and he was, I mean, his work on this game is amazing. This is my favorite Need for Speed soundtrack uh, by far. I mean, 3 and 4 had, had, had good soundtracks as well, but there's just something about the way that this game sounds and the, and the styles that it blends together and the way that you know, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of dangerous to to do what they do with the soundtrack in this game, where it's like, 
we're gonna make a song in the style of the ver- of the various countries. <laughs> like every time you go to a different track, it's like they're kind of trying to emulate a style, um, which seems like it would lead you down the wrong path. But it actually uh, they do it really well. At least at least to me, and all of the songs in this game are really cool. Um, you know, I, I love that. I didn't really intend to start the Need for Speed 2 discussion by talking about the soundtrack, but it just kind of organically happened because it's such a it's such a huge part of this game for me. Um, I mean, the main menu music is like one of my favorite songs ever, and uh, I think in the SE version they added Romulus 3, which is like all-time top-tier video game song for me. Uh, so it, it just um, it just feels like the first game. But the presentation is is even more polished. But in spite of that, it is way more arcadey and ridiculous. And there's this <laughs> weird, there's this weird juxtaposition from like, again, you have them putting all of this effort into the Roan Track license is no longer there. The sponsorship isn't there. But they're still putting just as much effort into. Um, you know, talking about the specs of these cars. They give you a history on all the manufacturers. There's a slideshow. There's a, a video for each one. They compose a different song for every car when you watch the video of it. Like, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, but in spite of that, this, I think, is... This is this actually might be, like, the most arcadey that Need for Speed ever got, aside from Nitro. Because... The tracks in this game are roller coasters. They are not roads that could ever exist in real life. And there are yeah. so many tracks that yeah. when you begin, you just take off the line and, and you're in the air. Like you're yeah. in the air and then you're just tumbling and yeah. you're just rolling down. Like I think the one in Greece is like that. Like you just, you start and all of a sudden you're upside down. And you know, that's not great game design, but it does make for a very interesting experience. I have maybe played uh, like like half an hour of Need for Speed 2 as an adult. I played it a lot as a kid because I, I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me to EB Games. At the time, it was EB Games, not anymore. Um, right. And got me a, uh, it was a collection that went from Need for Speed 2 SC through Hot Pursuit 2. I had the same one. This was on PC, right? <sighs> yes. I want yep. to find a box copy of that so bad because that is where it all started for me. That was... Yeah. What got me into cars, games, music that I'm into to, to this day, all of that started from there to me. So I want to find that. But um, I've played probably the least of Need for Speed 2 out of any Need for Speed game as an adult because I find it very hard to go back to just because of how arcadey it is compared to the other ones to the point where it's just like, I find it kind of like absurdly difficult just because yeah, like- it's not easy. <laughs> There's that mountain track. I can't remember which one it is because it's been a while. That mountain track where you start out and it's like you turn the first corner and you're just tumbling down a mountain. It's like you've driven off the side of a cliff. It's just... But I find the track themes really interesting because it's like, like you said, this is the arcadiest I ever got. It feels like I'm driving something out of like San Francisco Rush where like I'm driving across a, a, a plank bridge over a pit. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the track design in this game is extremely diverse, and even though it's it's too ambitious for its own good at times, like the the elevation change just kind of just kind of ruins the experience uh, uh, in in a lot of these cases. Just because this game, um, 
it, it it's arcade like the problem isn't that it's too arcadey the problem because because god knows we love arcade racing games <laughs> the problem is that it's arcadey in a really destructive way where you know even more so than like rush like with rush yeah, you're you're going off of those like you're in San Francisco. You're launching yourself off of those like stair step intersections, um, but you'll always kind of land, and maybe you'll just like catch the side of a building and you'll explode. But the road is really wide; it's relatively forgiving. This game is not like that. Um, this game right. is full of invisible walls and things that catch you out that probably aren't supposed to, uh, that just kind of stop the experience, which is a shame because like. When you're not tumbling down the mountain, I think the physics are actually okay. Like, so this in this game they introduced arcade and simulation handling, and um, the arcade handling actually actually makes the game a lot harder, in my opinion. It's it's way too easy to drift when you don't want to, and because these tracks are all so long and so narrow, and they don't really have a lot of like constant radius corners, you don't really want to be drifting a whole lot. You want to make these like small yeah. fine like movements right so the simulation handling is better for that reason the problem with the simulation handling is that um it does this thing that a lot of uh games that ostensibly simulation handling did at the time where it's <laughs> like when you're starting for a, a sand sill if you don't have the wheel completely straight uh you'll just start spinning uh once you are moving there's a lot more understeer than the than there is in the arcade physics which is actually good but that all goes you know that that's irrelevant because at the end of the day these cars are still extremely light and when they go off of a cliff yeah. they still do the same thing no matter which <laughs> physics you're using uh it's a really weird game to play and it's not it's probably the, the way i look back on need for speed 2 oftentimes is it's my favorite racing game that's like the worst to play like it's <laughs> Like even more than like say like our racing evolution or like an auto modelista like it's it's my favorite racer that also is like hard to actually go back and play because it there's so many things that prevent you from prevent this game from being the game that it should have been but there's still something that's so oddly charming about it that's the weird thing yeah i think the track design especially stands out for me when i think about it um i always remember some of the crazy locales that you drive in and like you say it's kind of odd having simulation-esque handling in that <laughs> and you're trying to drive some of these tracks i actually read a uh i was on the wikipedia page and i saw some quotes the wikipedia uh page for this game is actually it's not extensive until you get to like the reception part of the page where it goes <laughs> it has like tons of quotes from different reviewers i'm like well somebody yeah. really took their time with this uh i'm paraphrasing but one of the one of the reviewers was like that was quoted on the page was like yeah this game is like only for people who like really serious sim racers and i forget who they can <laughs> like which games they compare it to but it's like it, it's just so funny reading a quote like that what kind of cars um, are you it, driving <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh particularly well received critically which is not surprising I think one of the issues with that, aside from the physics and the gameplays we've talked about, is this is a really ugly game. Like, compared to, you know, what, at this time you had Rage Racer had already been out, which, like, Rage Racer is, like, fucking beautiful. Uh, Gran Turismo yeah. wasn't quite out yet. I think it might have been out in Japan, or it might have been coming out in Japan. We wouldn't get it in the U.S. for, like, another year, uh, or in the U.K. Um, and in, in comparison to 
all of that and the context in which it shipped, uh, this game looks really poor. The the car models are some of like the worst car models. I think the only games with like worse car models than the ones in Need for Speed 2 are actually the Pitbulls and the Kit Test Drive games. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Because they're just yeah, so incredibly low poly and and just weird and off. Um, but it's kind of part of the charm. Uh, it's it's just the series would take such a we're not going to talk about Need for Speed 3 unfortunately I, th I think Need for Speed 3 is a better game than this in just about every sense yeah um, and because because that game benefits from an entirely new engine and it's just so polished that to me that's where that's where Need for Speed became a triple A series was with the third game and so those games that and high stakes uh, and Porsche Unleashed are way more fun to actually well i don't know about fortune leash but those two games especially are way more fun to play and just way more polished but this one is you know it's another sort of uh uh you know bullet point on the way to that peak that they would eventually ascend to i feel like this game was definitely like another like you said like a stair step where they were starting to experiment and figure out what they wanted to do because like neep speed one was like them okay how do we make test drive but in three dimensions and make it bigger and better add more cars uh add full motion video uh use photos to make the dashboard instead of pixel art all of that stuff so that was that step and then this one was like okay now how do we make it fun and arcadey and accessible and not just another driving sim and they definitely succeeded at making it not a driving sim maybe not in the ways they intended but um <laughs> I think what also makes this game a little hard to go back to is personally, um, and I can't speak to the PC version because I, I honestly don't bother with uh, PC games from this era. I try to play them on console if I can, if I, uh, just because getting them running on PC is yeah, a, more of a pain. Challenge. <laughs> yeah. It's a challenge. Um, but the PS1 version of this game, like you said, it's ugly already to begin with on PC. On PS1, I can't see it. <laughs> You just you just can't see. Yep. This is one of those games you want to play on an emulator and just kind of like even just do a two times resolution bump and it just makes it so much easier to play. I mean, even then the frame rate is still like garbage. Right. But... And the controls on PS One it was like the very yeah. earliest days. I can't actually even remember if it supports the DualShock. It doesn't. It... I was I was just playing it this morning Aww. and it doesn't support the DualShock. Because I remember like sucks. the DualShock had that weird period where either it wasn't supported or if it was supported it was some oddball ass controls where you have to like like you have no choice but to use the right stick to accelerate and brake <laughs> or you have yeah. to use the d-pad to steer if you want to use x to accelerate so that's one of those things it's like ugh. but um actually on... you might be right because because i was trying to use it with dualshock controls this morning and i was like why is the right stick controlling my acceleration so i think you're actually right about yeah a that. lot of early ps1 <laughs> games either had that as mandated or uh a couple of years later they made it so like it was an option or so weird by ps2 times they figured out hey why not both why don't we just not make it so you have to pause and change it because D-pad steering and stick steering just feels so fundamentally different, especially in this era of games where the frame rate was so choppy. Because um, PS1 games were just kind of choppy. That's, that's how it was, and that's of its time. But I feel like in 1997, like, NFS2 and Test Drive 4 were almost on par with each other in that neither were what we would consider a good racing game by today's standards, but at the time, <laughs> they were both, like, the start of what those series would turn into the difference is that need for speed made a lot more innovations than test drive ended up doing for quite some time but 
Right. Yeah. Um, there are a couple things I kind of want to rattle off that I'm going to go through, try to go through as quickly as possible about this game that I think are interesting. Um, the the car lineup I think is one of the one of the best of any. You know, it, it sounds ridiculous oh, so to compare big. this to a game that, you know, a modern game that has like 500 cars or whatever, <laughs> like Forza Horizon 4. But honestly, like, this is one of the best car rosters. If you're just judging on the merit of every car in the roster, it's one of the best of all time. Uh, F50, GT90, Lotus GT1, oh, McLaren F1. Yes. Those are all in one class. <laughs> and then after that, you have a lower class that has... The Isdera Commendatory 112i, which is such a cool car, and Isdera should be in yeah. like every racing game. I love that company. Uh, the Ital Design Cala, which was like basically Ital Design's Lamborghini concept that never got made, that was kind of like a predecessor to Gallardo. Jaguar XJ220 and the Lotus Esprit V8. There is an unlockable car that's a Ford Indigo, and yes. the fact that this game has <laughs> the GT90 and the McLaren F1 and the Indigo has always oh, caused me to consider. So like PGR3 some weird kind of like spiritual successor to this game <laughs> because it's the only game that has both the GT90 and the Indigo. Um, I love this era of Ford concept cars. The uh, the SE version on PC added some content. It had an extra track that was based in Mexico. It had it, it had the uh, Mustang Mach 3, the Ferrari 355 F1, and the Nazca C2, which was another Italian design concept car, but that one was actually BMW. Um, there are also three bonus cars in SE that are like uh, kind of ridiculous. There's one of them's like a hot rod, and another one is a car that looks like kind of some sort of futuristic supercar uh, from like Need for, or from uh, San Francisco Rush. Actually, it kind of looks like the cover car from that game. And there's a stock car. Uh, and then things get weird because this game has a lot of cheats and. <laughs> Basically, any 3D asset that exists in this game, <laughs> you can drive. I remember this. I love the yeah. way you put this. Yeah. It's really weird. So that that extends from like, you know, cars that are not necessarily. This game doesn't have traffic, but like cars that you can't like are not intended were not intended to be driven in the game that are made of like two polygons and that consists of everything from like like there's an Audi 100 the BMW 5 Jeep Wrangler a semi truck a Lincoln town car stretch limousine a Mazda Miata I'm just going through the list here but then there's like uh like you can drive like a dumpster you can drive an outhouse which I guess must have been an asset from the um the Australian track uh, yeah. My favorite is a T-Rex because the secret <laughs> uh, bonus course in this game is this really weird, trippy, like, ride through um, a Hollywood film set, or rather a set of Hollywood film sets, and one of them is, like, Jurassic Park, and there's a T-Rex in it, and so you can drive that T-Rex, <laughs> and it's one I way remember. <laughs> bigger than any other, you know, obviously vehicle in the game, and, like, there are a lot of courses on environments in this game that are sort of like that have like ceilings and so the t-rex will always hit the top of whatever track you're on <laughs> yep uh, yeah it's uh it's weird man it's weird and i love that i love that about this game i think all of those things are also just you don't really need to like do anything to unlock them you can just basically you know you have your player name in the game and you can just change it and then you get those you get those crazy uh, vehicles. So, this is what I remember about the, the game the most. Honestly, is like 
the cheats are kind of what this game's legacy are to me. Like, um, if, if it gives you an idea of what I remember about Need for Speed 2, I have two notes here. Is that one, the PS1 version handles bad, and two, Outhouse. Outhouse, yep. That's, that's my other note for this game. And it's literally, it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, to even call it an outhouse is like an, is like an overstatement. It's literally a box with that a, has with like a, a crescent moon. Has like a 16 by 16 wood texture and like a, a crescent moon on it, and that's it. Um, and I didn't know what an outhouse was when I was like five, so it was like, what the hell is this? Um, a couple more things I want to say about this game. So, uh, there is a track, uh, the first track in the game that you experience is, or that you're on is called uh, The Proving Grounds. Uh, the logo for that track is the logo of the developer of this game, Pioneer Productions. But Pioneer Productions is not actually its own developer, but rather a team within EA Canada. So that's kind of interesting. Right. I don't know if they're, are they related to Distinctive Software at all? Um, I'm not really sure beyond that. I know that... Um I know that uh, EA Canada was kind of created by the people who were distinctive. So distinctive was absorbed okay. into EA and turned into uh, EA Canada. So I'm, if it's a sub team of Canada, which I didn't know about, um, I'm assuming it was something of the same people, but I'm not entirely sure because I'm not sure how much changed between uh, the acquisition by EA and uh, 1997. So it's possible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, on the note of the first game being on the 3DO, uh, apparently this game was supposed to release on the Panasonic M2, which was supposed to be the successor to the 3DO that never came out. Um, and so, you know, this game obviously never launched on that system. Uh, you might remember the M2 from our discussion about IMSA Racing in the episode we did about, one of the episodes we did about unreleased racing games. Uh, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of a neat little footnote in history um i have here car sound effects captured by installing like a bunch of mics and then they record them the eight track tape which is you know consistent with the first game as you said uh and the last thing that i think is really noble about this game is i this has a different announcer than the first one i think i should have checked um but i think the announcer in this game his name is jim conrad and he would become the need for speed guy basically until hot pursuit 2 uh for like the next four games when you heard yeah. a dude talk about cars in the menus in need for speed it was jim conrad and his voice is so like completely intertwined with need for speed for me forever <laughs> even though he hasn't been in a game since like 2002 um and he's an accomplished voice actor that has has you know done like documentaries and he's done also i think a lot of like um cartoons and things like that too he's all over the place but but jim conrad's voice is like forever the the need for speed voice um it's just that iconic for me yeah i always remember his um, preamble about mystic peaks especially <laughs> he just made it sound like the most terrifying track in the world <laughs> oh god like his his voice is so ominous and and yeah he yeah. was also he he did make it to um to hot pursuit 2 as well he sounds a little bit different in that game in this game like however they recorded him or however they however they mixed it like it just he just sounds so like he sounds like God. Like there's no <laughs> other way to, to fucking put the it. Need like, for Speed cards. Yeah, <laughs> no. He good. just he he just he just has this like intimidating like force of nature 
boom to him and the way in which he he describes the cars like i'll never forget there are a couple lines one of them being the one in the gt90 uh description where he'll just he just says like and the engine was uh was plated with gold tiles like the ones <laughs> on the space station to keep the body from melting and just the way he he others that line is just terrifying and i i think it's you know, I, I don't. I really don't think you can talk about Need for Speed from this era yeah. without giving him a shout out because he's such a big part of it. Even though he's a part that I'm sure, you know, I'm sure a, a good number of people have forgotten. I'm glad that you brought it up because th- there was something I was going to say about the general atmosphere about these early Need for Speed games, and I, I don't know. I don't know how quite to put this into words, and maybe it will sound like absolute nonsense, but like. The Need for Speed universe in, in these games, it feels like the world was made for cars and humans are just a byproduct. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't absolutely. know how to explain it. Like, the way the tracks are designed and stuff, it's like, if you look at the way the tracks are laid out in comparison to the environment, it almost looks as if the track has always been there. We just made it look cool by placing objects around it. And obviously that's just like a byproduct of old game design. But going back, it just creates this, like, like you're saying, almost an eerie world where like even the proving grounds looks like some secretive place we're not supposed to be and this is for the cars <laughs> not for us to be there and yeah it's so strange I just that's the vibe I get from the games even the way like it glorifies the cars in the games almost as if they're like heroes from something like Overwatch with all these fucking images and the the logos from these cars as well it's like it's such a strange atmosphere and I always wonder if it's like intentional to a certain extent I guess but I think it's also just like trying to give the game a personality back then um they definitely went down the right route I, I, I love the atmosphere of these games but I think yeah I just wanted to make some ridiculous statement about how when I play the games it doesn't feel like actual planet earth far from it <laughs> the proven ground feels like a moon base oh absolutely I mean when you're driving through that tunnel there's all these like flashing lights where the hell am I and sirens and the song like Headless Horse is like is an amazing song it's it's already weird and unsettling in like a 90s way and then you get to like the last you know minute of that track and the guitars just fucking break out and it's it is one of my favorite like songs in any game ever um it's it's just such a cool atmosphere. You're absolutely right in describing it that way, um, and and yeah, they are they are like the heroes from Overwatch is like a really good description. Like um, <laughs> one of the cars, I, I guess it probably would have been the Kala because it was a Tal design. Mm. The description starts out it's like designed by Jigetto Jajaro, and I'm like I don't you know I'm fucking four <laughs> years old. I don't know who the hell that is, but he's in that time like you know he's educating me about one of the most prolific car designers of the 20th century and just like my favorite design house ever. And it's like, there's so many things about this game that would inform the person that I would end up being that have nothing to do with the way it plays. They're just totally based on, (laughs) on the media and the graphic design. The graphic design is just like, it is super over the top cheesy in like the, that nineties way, but it looks so good. And all these like logos flying over the place and like superimposed on things and 3D models of logos that like spin like they're like gifs or something like it's it's just it informs so much of of the person I would end up being I think yeah. I think without Need for Speed 2 you know I think there's a fair chance I don't do this podcast uh, it's, it's that <laughs> it's that important to me so 
<sighs> and it's uh, yeah, and we and we spent an hour on these two games already. Okay. Um, <laughs> if I can do one last thing about NFS two. Sure. Uh, something about this game that's really cool to me is that almost every car in this list is either a concept or like some obscure supercar manufacturer that no longer yeah. exists. And yep. I think that's fascinating because it's really the only game in this franchise like, uh, yeah, that's like this. Like, no- nothing else has this this volume of of like concepts and obscure cars. Like the later games had some. Test Drive did a little bit more of this with like the obscure uh, supercar manufacturers later on. But like the Kala, I, I I forgot what the name of that car was until you mentioned it earlier. That thing is gorgeous. I'm sad that was never made. Yes. It uh, is. It is one of my favorite cars ever. Um, so much cooler than the Gaiar though. Yes. Yeah. This game. This game is is crawling with stuff like that. And like concept cars were never cooler than they were during this time. Mm-hmm. And this game takes full advantage of that. Like, the the is Dara thing is really interesting because that company was started by. Um, Everhard Schultz, who was like an engineer for Mercedes and worked on their like like speed record concept cars, and then he made one of those like he he basically took a Mercedes engine and took one of his designs and like started his own company and reused those things, and then eventually he produced a Commendatory, which is this like absurd looking car. I mean, it's like incredibly long and it's just like a bar of soap. Like this car, you, you talk about cars that like are meant to just slip through the air. I don't think I've ever seen a design as streamlined to do that as a commendatory. <laughs> and I think like, you know, two years after this, the company like folded. And I think now like they were bought by some Chinese firm and they're trying to make an electric car or something like that. But it's like, yeah, this th- there are so many little details in this game that relate to car culture that has been totally lost to time uh, that no one thinks about anymore. I mean, if you want to find any like footage of an Intel design Kala driving on the road I think like if you search onto YouTube this is probably one of the only clips that comes up outside of like <laughs> oh this car was like driven from like a concours event or something like that somewhere and here it is on the road like in terms of like produced yeah. footage of this car I, I think this is it and like they recorded this or you know I don't know it'd be interesting to, to figure out um or to see like what how the production of like the videos and the gallery and stuff like that came about because some of it looks have been sourced from car companies and some of it looks as if they produced it themselves and so i'm really curious as to as to how they did that and even just the amount of money they spent on it because some of these videos are are beautiful um the the mclaren f1 the GT90 video is incredible. It's like yeah, cut definitely. with all of these like clips of like the GT40 because remember this was like before you know the Ford GT was ever a thing. So this was like Ford creating a concept car based on its race car, which was then probably like 25 years old or something like that. If you really want to date <laughs> date uh, this game, uh. so yeah, I'm just yeah I'm I you know I'm in awe of of all of the effort that they put into this game that again has nothing to do with the actual gameplay gt90 is an incredible car as well and i think this is there are very few games that feature the gt90 more than feature the, the indigo or the mach 3 but like i i think it's like five games total have ever featured the gt90 and that wow. car is just so incredible looking and in, in every yeah. regard yeah. it, it, it oh. looks otherworldly i have a maisto um 
118 scale GT90 that I probably got, you know, in like so 2002. And oh, boy. Yeah, it's just, it's such an amazing car. I mean, Ford's design from this era, uh, it's funny because I feel like Ford is like a, it's like kind of a joke of a car company, but the the <laughs> sports car concepts that they had in like the mid nineties, uh, to me, like I think for whatever reason that just like cemented their reputation in my brain is like, yeah, Ford's kind of a joke, but when they want to make a supercar, it's like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, yeah. So, <sighs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I am glad that we spent that much time on Need for Speed too, because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's so much con uh, context to that game that just needs to be yeah. needs to be explained. I think the next one will actually go quicker because um, this is a game that I think is. Whereas I feel like Need for Speed Two and the first game aren't talked about. This game has been has been uh, discussed to death. We didn't talk about in the first episode, and I wanted to, but I didn't feel like I had done enough research. And in doing the research, I think I've gotten to a point where I've realized, like, yeah, there's really not a ton of research to do about this game. Um, I think this is more of a discussion we have that's just about our memories of it. But what I wanted to talk about was Need for Speed Most Wanted, uh, specifically the you know the original Most Wanted. Um, there are a couple things about this game that I hadn't realized. I didn't know that it was actually the best-selling game in the series. Uh, it sold 60 million copies world worldwide, which is like, th that's like eight times whatever probably Hot Pursuit 2 sold. <laughs> and this game came out like three years later. Uh, also really interesting, this game landed on, uh, you know, in the 10th anniversary year of the franchise. And I think that actually informs a lot of why it works, because... If you love the first couple games like I did, but were really put off by the whole tuner vibe of Underground, or conversely, if you really got into Underground but didn't like those original games, this game joins those two universes, I think, better than any any franchise I think has ever done. Like I'm trying to think of a franchise that like has that era that fans that some fans love and other fans don't and they try to unify it and it just makes no one happy. I feel like most wanted made everyone happy. Um, and I, I guess in this discussion, one of the things that I want to answer is, is this game as good as we remember it? Because everyone see like, as far as I can tell this, game may as well be the best street racer ever made it just has that that um that's the discussion around it to me like you know anecdotally speaking like i feel like this game has a legend that it could not ever possibly live up to and unfortunately i don't have my copy um i don't know where it is i must have lost it but <laughs> I, I do wonder if if our memories make this game like ascend to a place that it actually isn't um, I remember, God, I remember when I first played this game, uh, I was at my cousin's house for, like, a family Christmas thing, and I remember playing his PS2 copy with him and just being kind of blown away, and, um, like, I was, oh, God, you have to, I'm gonna make myself seem very young here, but I was six when this <laughs> game came out, 
Um, and I remember I was not allowed to play teen-rated games, and I had to beg my mom <laughs> to purchase this game for me. She called my cousin and is like, is this game okay for a six-year-old? And he's like, yeah, it's just because there's cops and stuff. So I don't know if the lyrics, click pow, nine thou, are really good for a six-year-old. <laughs> okay. Hearing. So, I actually have a fun little anecdote about that one, is that I did not realize how censored this game's lyrics were. Um, oh, it's hilarious! And um, as as a kid that had probably an irresponsible amount of internet access, uh, around eight years old, I remember purchasing some of these songs uh, for my iPod, and um, or my mom's iPod rather, and putting them on in the car. My parents were like, "We need to have a talk." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I I didn't realize how censored all of this stuff was, but um, I don't know. It, it has like this this atmosphere to it that I think. Like I said, with like each game has its own atmosphere, and this was probably the most 2005 video game I can imagine. Um, in terms of the music, like the like the style of the, like the modifications, but also just like the I don't know, like the, just the car culture around it and like the storyline and everything. It's so it's so edgy and uh, I, I love it. And I, I think that when people go back to it uh, now that never really played it much or who are, like, trying to, like, do what you're doing, trying to do and um, see if it's as good as they remember from, like, a purely, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Objective standpoint. Yeah, it's not going to hold up quite as well as you think. But to me, I've never not enjoyed revisiting it. I've never not thoroughly enjoyed it every bit as I used to. Yeah, that that's great. And I, I the the way that I got into this game was I actually borrowed a friend's copy, um, and I think I was like in fifth grade or something like that. And he had for a PS2, and I played through a good amount of it on the PS2. And the thing is, like, I borrowed his copy of the game, and even at this time, I was like not into Need for Speed because, like, I was saying, you know, the whole underground turn was really not something that I liked when I was a kid. Um, I think with enough distance now, I could play that game and actually enjoy it, but there was no way that I was going to ever give it the respect it deserved. <laughs> um, so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but to my surprise, I actually ended up enjoying it a lot. And yeah. uh, I played through part of it, and then the 360 came out, and uh, one of the launch titles was Need for Speed Most Wanted, and so I got that when I got my 360, which was pretty early on, and played through the whole thing. And uh, it was a good game for the 360 because it, it didn't really take advantage of that console in any crazy way like it did it didn't have any more content just everything looked a lot better and the frame rate was a lot smoother it was one of those kinds of right. next generation yeah. ports but it was good because it was you know you could most wanted is at its core a good game so that good game at a higher fidelity is just going to be even better and so i remember you know that is tied uh, alongside like pgr3 is really tied to like my early 360 experiences and um yeah it's just it's it's one of those games you just look through and it's like they just executed everything so perfectly which i think is actually a little bit bittersweet because i feel like black box kind of had this like on and off yeah. sort of tenure with the series where yeah. they were they they got it right and then they didn't and then they did and I'm sure it's not, you know, it's not all them. Obviously, they are an EA studio, so there must have been a lot of <laughs> meddling there that uh, that didn't help. But yeah, just just the point where everything came together. Um, so yeah. the kind of the thing with Black Box is that they had such a tight schedule where they were 
you know, their first game was the Hot Pursuit 2 PS2 port, which wasn't entirely their gig. They got basically all of the assets from EA Seattle, and then they made their PS2 version, and EA was like, this is yours now. And so they <laughs> they started making them games each year. And it's really interesting to see, like, um, if you've ever watched just stuff about the cut content from Undergrounds 1 and 2, and, like, the concepts that just never made it in as, like, like damage model and, like... The police chases were planned for the Underground 1, and then they, like, couldn't make it, so then it was planned for Underground 2, and it still didn't make hmm. it in. So, like, Most Wanted, to me, is just kind of the team finally realizing what their original concept for an Underground game was. And I think that's kind of why it ended up being such, like, a standout game, was that all the concepts that were in Most Wanted were three years in the making. And uh, it was finally the team finally yeah. getting like the the time and uh, thought together to refine those ideas into a just a fantastic product that they had like they never matched it like and that's debatable of course but most people think they never matched it and that's because they started having to make everything in a year again and when you've when you've gotten this had three years to whittle this down to like such a perfect product how is it gonna get better from there? with a third of the time you know yeah exactly and i think um could be wrong on this one but i think the only other game that black ops got a considerable amount of time to develop funnily enough was one of the ones we discussed in the last podcast need for speed that run which had a, a slightly longer um development cycle as well and i think what we're really saying about most wanted then is that it's black box's magnum opus as far as blending everything they'd learned from the series into a finalised product. And the thing was, when it first came out, a bit of background from my experience with it, it definitely came out around about that time where, I don't know if this was everyone or I've, I've just always been a bit contrarian, but um, I started to think at some point I was... I was uh, I'd kind of moved past the need for speed as far as my racing uh, tastes had went playing your Gran Turismo's and that type of thing and enjoying those a lot. So I, I decided not to play Most Wanted when it first came out. I still consider that one of the, the biggest mistakes I made at the time because I, I knew younger younger me would have loved it, but at the time I was too busy trying to be a sim dad. So, um, yeah, going back to Most Wanted, I think it was like 2009 or 2008, so I didn't miss it by that amount, that, that amount of time, but... Um, Oh man, this is just, this is exactly what you'd like, and it's funny because the, the Need for Speed game I would play next on release would be Carbon, and I thought Carbon was pretty good, and it's funny because going back to Most Wanted, I can now see why people thought it was a bit of a, a scaling back of the series, because it was only nighttime racing, the, um, the canyon races while cool were probably a bit undercooked, um... But most wanted, everything, and I guess it comes from that extended development cycle, everything just felt so well thought out, and it's just a very fun experience from start to finish. Obviously, you've got some slight AI issues and stuff like that, but the thing that really stands out to me is just how great the city is, especially for that generation. Yes. Yeah, Rockport is um, is maybe the best open-world city, I think, that there's ever been in a racing game. I know that's a, a big claim to make, but for me anyway, <laughs> I think yeah. that's because it, it has a little bit of everything. And it just, it speaks again to the nature of this game that like, whether you like the original Need for Speed titles or on the ground, there was something here for you. And like, you have the city, there's like a, a 
you know, fairly big like industrial area. And then you have all these like forests and mountains and highways that like weave through them. And uh, those in, in particular, because of the autumn setting, that reminds me a lot of, of fall yeah, winds yeah. from Hot Pursuit 2. And because of all of this, anytime I play a racing game and the track or, you know, a, a, an environment is in autumn, you know, every time that Forza Horizon 4 has its autumn season, I can't help but think about Most Wanted. Like, this is a fall game to me, and I love that about it. Uh, it is very 2005. It has a lot of bloom. It has a lot of browns. And, <laughs> but the weird thing is that that doesn't bother me. Like, that that Not aesthetic was like, that aesthetic was overdone in a lot of games, obviously, from this time. That sort of like at the time, quote unquote, next gen filter. And I think like it doesn't, like honestly, it's one of my issues with like Grid, for example, because I don't think it really makes sense in Grid. But in this game, it does because this is more of like a stylistic product with the narrative and they're trying to create this bleak city atmosphere and it's bleak but it's also beautiful it, it actually strikes a really good balance and i think playing this game especially like 720p on the 360 back in the day you know maybe on the psc you didn't get get that sense so much but i think on that next generation platform actually kind of gave it the stage it needed to really create an impression and um it's just like one of the one of the things I really respect about this game, just the fact that whether it was the city that was like diverse enough to really have in, you know something for everybody, or whether it was like the car roster, because you still had, you know, you still had the ja the Japanese compact cars, the sport coupes, but then the game goes all the way up to, you know, Lamborghinis and and Porsches and stuff like that that were SLR. kind of maybe, yeah, the SLR that was like missing uh, from the underground game. So it's got like a good. It's got a good mix, and yeah. I just wish that, like, when I was playing Need for Speed Heat, I think I really enjoyed Heat because I saw a lot of this in that game, and it made me realize how much I've missed a game like this over the last 15 years. I think we all kind of had, like, open-world street racing fatigue towards the end of the 2000s, mm -hmm. but now there's just... I think that's why I got on so well with Heat because that's really something that I feel like developers can go back to and really, yeah. really try to approach again. I did real challenge. <laughs> oh, oh absolutely too. Yeah, the, and and you know we have to talk about the pursuits, right? I think they were perfect yeah. in this game, and and it had that interesting aspect where you could just like because of the open world nature, because they could just stretch on for forever. You could write your own story and write your own narrative in these pursuits, and God, there was there w wasn't there like no more suspenseful, like heart pounding in your chest feeling than when you were on like a forty minute pursuit in this game, <laughs> and you just wanted it to end, but it wasn't ending. Like Jesus Christ, this is one of the most I think outside of like broken AI and such. This is one of the most actually challenging racing games on that generation of consoles where it's like yeah. it's not even the racing that's the hard part like yeah you've got like rubber banding characters and all that but it, it's like this it can get really hard and hectic and i think that that's part of why carbon kind of fell short was because carbon for one thing didn't put focus on pursuits you, you could go through the entirety of carbon with going through like maybe two pursuits outside of the tutorial just because they weren't there, they weren't part of the loop. But this game made you do it. So, like, you had to have a certain amount of bounty from pursuits, and you had to have, like, all these, like, um, 
milestones where you did like hit hit 15 roadblocks and evade or evade or uh, like like dodge 15 spike strips in one pursuit and evade and like that meant you had to engage with the pursuit system for a long time you had to go through a long pursuit and get to a high heat level enough to even see spike strips and then you had to miss 15 of them and get away and that that's like challenging and it sounds like to an outsider or even to myself now just talking about it not having played the game in about a year um like like it would be um tedious but i don't think it ever felt that way to me it felt like a challenge and just like genuinely fun and i don't think a game has gotten that down in pursuits properly until heat yeah, and it's it, what it is is it's challenging, but not so much to put you off, and it's just incredibly rewarding. Like one of the issues I have with Heat, and it's something that that kind of gets solved as you get more and more powerful cars later in the game, but they punish you so much for for getting arrested in that game. It's it's absurd, yeah. and I don't know why they do it because like, yeah, okay, you want to not. Obviously, when you're in the pursuit, you don't want to be caught. That's just. Nobody wants to be caught in the pursuit. Like, that alone is punishment. If you want to, like, I don't know, take some of my rep or something like that, that's fine. But he, literally, there were times where it's like, I have a third less cash now because the police caught me. Like, and what incentive does that give me to try and rack up these long, like, epic pursuits? Like, it, it actively makes me not want to do that. And it actively <laughs> makes me yeah. scared. And not the good kind of scared, like, you get in in most wanted but it just you get to a point where like the cops have cars that are way faster than yours and you know now because i lost i i now don't have enough money to buy a car that would get me out of this jam and help me later mm -hmm. in the game uh and and most wanted doesn't do that like there's the three strikes you're out right with the pink slips but that's that's fine and also i mean look let's be honest who didn't just like turn their console off the second <laughs> they got caught so like and and the challenge like I, I always think it's interesting when games feel the need to punish you more for things like this because like you know the disappointment the punishment for me is the fact that i didn't do it it's the fact that i didn't get away that hurts and so the next time i i come back i'm like the motivation for me just is inherent in the fact that fuck the cops i'm gonna get away this time and they can't stop me i don't really yeah. need some kind of like you know, money doesn't really need to enter the equation to like make me want to play better more like i don't know <laughs> i just i just always think that's an interesting thing and it's something that this game got right right and another thing that happens in this game uh in most situations is that uh when you get caught it resets your heat level to one and it also whatever you accomplish in that pursuit doesn't count so like yes that's yes. to me the sort of punishment that it gives you where you have to do it again and that doesn't feel like arbitrary or unnecessary it's logical and i think it mm -hmm. means like you have to try again and do something of the same scale and then pull it off this time so i think that's what kind of what made what sets it apart from heat where heat you lose things that you got before the pursuit started if you fail in that pursuit. In this game, yeah, there's fines. They're basically nothing. You get, get out of real free tokens. You can add extra stri strike slots to cars. You're never really going to lose a car. Like I don't think I've ever lost a car through natural gameplay, even without, when yeah. I'm not resetting. Um, it, it's just like a like a, a challenge to like do it again and get it right and win. And it, it just... 
it builds skill at the game in a way that I don't think they even got right in Heat. As, as much as I like Heat and I did enjoy my time with it, it's, it's like Heat does feel like a bit more part punishing than it needs to be versus this game where the punishment is you failed, you have to do it again, and it takes a very long time. But it's not in like a get fucked, loser, do it all again kind of way. <laughs> Yeah, Heat yeah. with Heat's Pursuit has this interesting problem where it's either way too hard or way too easy, right. and I feel like this game just, for all the reasons you mentioned in terms of in terms of the way you're rewarded or punished, and and also just the difficulty level, it's it's exactly where it needs to be. So, and I'll just uh, I just have this image in my in my brain uh, of just like going into the running into the donut shop sign, uh. and just, like the donut falling <laughs> off and crushing all the cop cars is like was like the best or the, um, the, the giant tires <laughs> god the pursuit breakers were just like yeah, pursuit breakers that's what uh, they're called. so yeah. he loved breakers such a <laughs> even though they were so scripted and like right. you know once you, you there were probably like six of them and once you'd done them all it was like whatever it was always great when you were trying to get to one you're like i just need a pursuit breaker right now or like the camera would end and your car would be like face first into a wall and you get busted because <laughs> of it it was like fuck i don't care that was worth it <laughs> or like when you run into one of the AI that would knock over by accident just because the AI could knock them over and then they would just yes. stop you in your tracks because they're made out of fucking cement for some reason. It, yeah. it was like, it was janky, but God, it was one of those things that's like, it's, it's so fun, you don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, EA in general, like, they, they really loved that breaker concept for a bit, didn't they? Because a lot of the EA Sports big games had equivalents as well, like NBA Street, uh, yep. SSX had the Ubers, which I suppose would technically fall within breaker category. Shocks! Even like... <laughs> oh, shocks, exactly. <laughs> like, um, there was just that really cool mantra at the time. They were trying to find ways to make the games unique. And like, even though, like we're saying, they were heavily scripted and stuff, it's it's hard to deny, especially at the time. It was really fucking cool to see stuff like that happen. Filling the game breaker meter in the, in the NBA Street Volume yeah. 2 is uh, a great feeling. The, the whole world just just gets like white and like like every like all the bright all the lights are like super bright and you can't see anything but all of a sudden you're just like fucking alley oop and dunking all over the place and you have like a 20 point lead it's great burnout had it as well didn't it the crash breaker yeah yeah, yeah that's true what was yeah. with ea and the word breaker at this time yeah because <laughs> like the board meeting i get they were always like game changing elements but like what was the link? And like, there was this game had another one called Speedbreaker, if y'all remember. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I, I never really used it growing up. Now nowadays, I know it's just completely breaks the game, but because uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, guys. But uh, if you turn on the Speedbreaker, your car weighs like six million pounds. So if you're ever about to hit a traffic car, turn on Speedbreaker, and you won't lose much speed at all. It'll just send the traffic. Is this car also? Is this also the bullet time? Yeah, it's aspect the bullet time. of the game. Yeah, it's weird because this game had that, uh, Midnight Club had that, and like 2 and 3 and a bunch of iterations. That was like a really popular theme. Right, and it was, it, like, it was like a feasible thing to do because the game didn't always feel like it was in bullet time anymore on consoles. So it was like, now we can slow things down. And personally, I never used it growing up because uh, despite being like supposedly made to let you do precision maneuvers and control... It's like, yeah, your car is heavier now, so you can, like, hit things without much penalty. But also, if you've ever tried to steer in the Speedbreaker in this game, you just spin. 
your car loses yeah, traction. Yeah. So I, I never used it. Speedrunners use it to avoid like losing time from hitting things because the traffic in this game is so hectic. But it was. An I, I do concept. remember it being something that I I would forget I had the capability to do until mm -hmm. I did it. Um, but yeah, that is uh that is most wanted. Uh, anyone here ever played a PSP port? Yes. No. Okay. I bought it um, around the time, uh, like not, it wasn't new because I had my PSP in like 2008 uh, and I got my PSP with two games. Uh, I got Midnight Club 3 Dub Edition, which was a direct port of the, of the PS2 version to the PSP. Fantastic game. Yep. Um, yeah. And then 510, which was, um, oh boy, uh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> the handheld Need for Speed games had like this really weird thing going on where they were super inconsistent from release to release. So like Underground 2 was really really good on all three platforms in my opinion anyways. If you like the if you don't like the GBA racer thing then you're not going to vibe with it. It's like kind of like looking at uh, a console game put at like 10p. It's not good. <laughs> but um yep. I find it endearing. And the DS one was good, and then the PSP one was really good. It felt like Underground 1, honestly, to me. It feels like an Underground 1 port. Um, hmm. Most Wanted just kind of took a step backwards on DS and PSP, where it feels really bare-bones. There's a cop, but they don't really do anything. I'm not even sure that they can chase you. It just looks really terrible, which is strange, considering how good Underground Rivals looked. Um... I don't remember much about it. It was all, uh, like, no open world, which sounds kind of bad to criticize a PSP game for not having an open world, but the, the Carbon one the next year had an open world, and it was, like, sure, it was cut up pieces of Most Wanted, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, because that was on the go in 2006. Yeah. And plus, like, I'll just never forget how the Test Drive Unlimited PSP port had the entire island of Oahu in it. <laughs> right. To me, like, it's just absurd. There's no yeah. excuse for a game to be as bare bones as Most Wanted 510 was on a console that could render the entirety of Midnight Club 3, uh, like, all the cities. And I think it even had Tokyo. You just had to wait two minutes for the game to load. But yeah, it took it took fucking forever to load off the optical. <laughs> Whoever thought optical media on a car, a console was a good idea? Like, I'm sure it allowed some of these massive worlds, but God, the noise, the <laughs> that it made whenever it loaded anything. Oh yeah. Was look at Sony. If they can't launch a new disc format with with a system, then Mini what's disc. even the point? Oh boy. Um, it's funny because. Uh, Andrew Moore, uh, who's who's been on the show before, and we all know, um, and he is, I think, a big fan of Five One Zero. But I think that's just because it's on the PSP. And and uh, <laughs> don't tell him I said this, but uh, I feel like he just any any PSP game is instantly an extra two points out of ten for him because it's just <laughs> on the PSP. So. Some yeah. people have consoles like that. I'm like that with the original Xbox. Uh, also, it's because. Don't tell him I said this either. UMDs look like mini discs, and he likes mini discs way too much, and way more than anybody should. Ooh. Absolutely true, and I love that. I love that. He's just gonna hear this on his own. Like, nobody love you, buddy. has to tell him anything. Love He's you, buddy. Uh, all right, so um, I think with that we can move on. And fortunately, I've been talking a lot, so I get to I get to take a step back now and uh, leave the floor to Brent. 
Yeah, so um, I guess par for the course given the, the last uh, Need for Speed podcast as well. Um, when I was thinking about what to discuss for this one, I, I tried thinking out of the box again, um, a game that perhaps had great ideas, maybe not so greatly executed. And I guess you could say as well, based on the stuff I'm talking about, when it comes to Need for Speed, I've got a really kind of... Um, I've got a lot more association with the newer titles in terms of what I feel about them and how often I, I talk about them. And uh, Slightly Mad Studios, who recently announced Project Cars 3, um, also kind of fall into that same ballpark when I play a lot of their stuff. I enjoy a lot of their stuff to a certain point, and then I usually drop it. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Need for Speed itself um, was actually handled by Slightly Mad Studios for two titles, uh, Need for Speed Shift and Need for Speed Shift 2 Unleashed. And for the purposes of this podcast, I have decided to go with uh, Need for Speed Shift 2 Unleashed, or as it would become known, just Shift 2 Unleashed, um, since it dropped a Need for Speed moniker. Um, I think that still qualifies though, Adam. I'm hope- hopefully your judgment allows that. <laughs> I won't allow it. Let's move on to the next game. No, I just, I, I think more than anything else, first of all, I forgot that they, they got rid of Need for Speed from the name of that game. And I just yeah. always thought there was something so silly about Unleashed. Like, at this point, it's what? It's like 2011, right? Or yeah. 2010 or something? It's like, I would have thought that we would have moved past Unleashed unbounded extreme like these these like uh you know these like hype words really don't need to exist anymore i'd like to point out this is the fourth game in my library with the subtitle unleashed because i have porsche unleashed i have the force unleashed and god what was the other one i just had in my head something else sonic sonic unleashed oh yeah so five five games because i wasn't thinking of that one there was a fourth one i had in my head that was another racing game i think uh, yeah, uh, I'd also like to point out that the name change means that this game in my Steam library is in a completely different category than Need for Speed, which is just... Oh, that was <laughs> <laughs> But, um, uh, Unleashed, um, it's a silly subtitle, but I would say, in terms of any games called Unleashed, I think Shift 2 does try and, uh, justify the moniker, because this was, um... This was quite a change up from the original shift because much like a lot of the games slightly mad studios make in the more modern era, um, they were trying to replicate the authentic driver experience as is often uh, coined in press releases and that type of thing. And um, where that initially took the idea of moving through various motorsports and driving in those and uh, kind of getting contracts to drive for other uh, manufacturers, that type of thing. And Shift 2 takes a different approach, which I, I have wrote in my notes very um, very harshly as a horror-esque approach. Because Shift 2 Unleashed, the vibe of this game is very strange to say the least. Um, when you boot the game up first, you get like this... Um, intro to the game, a small video cutscene that plays, and it's um, basically, it kind of starts in a zoomed up look at the tarmac, comes up the logos of the company, and you expect it to kind of zoom up, cars going fast, suitable drum and bass soundtrack, the usual kind of affair you would expect. However, it's a bit different in the sense that there isn't any actual 
music that really plays. It's all these kind of visceral sound effects happening during a GT1 series race, which no longer exists, I believe. Um, and it's at Spa, so great track choice. But it's basically, a, the cars are coming up to Eau Rouge, and uh, it's always collisions and crashing, and then it zooms into like a driver's eye with absolute terror, like as if he's watching like some fucking scary movie or something. And it zooms out and it shows you the race as he's seen it with all the cars crashing, and then uh, the the intro ends with him crashing into a car, at which point more loud noises ensue, <laughs> and the um, the title card of the game appears. Shift to unleashed. With a photo of uh, Vaughn Gittin Jr. looking very, very serious. Um, the oh Formula God, D champion at the, the time. I forgot about that that stinger at the end with Vaughn Gittin Jr. I think I saw Mate, this. He is a main character in this game. Oh my God! I think I saw this clip uh, before the game came out. They, they, I think they like put the intro on YouTube or something like that. It was very yeah. weird because it was very. It was like the pain and anguish of racing and just. <laughs> The other destruction and chaos and death, but it was also trying to be a sim, and it just, uh, you know, sort of a sim, I guess, and it just felt very weird. Yeah, the game itself is, it's very strange. Um, the, the the atmosphere of the game, I would say that nothing has really attempted to replicate this because, um, even just in terms of like the soundtrack, to briefly comment on that, um. We've talked before, Adam, about how we don't have time for the orchestra-based racing game soundtracks that are kind of honed, like kind of phoned in to try and add a sense of drama. Uh, Shift to Unleashed took a much different approach because while it has an, an orchestrated soundtrack, they consulted four composers to basically write four remixes of ten songs that appear in the game. So it's, it's a pretty small list. Oh, there's a drive club thing where it's like I'm gonna hear be I'm, yeah I'm gonna hear be here now like twenty <laughs> times today. Right, there's like four so, different remixes of like, there's like a Hollywood exactly. Undead song, there's a Rise Against song. <laughs> um, and yeah. honestly, this is maybe not a popular opinion, I really fuck with this game's soundtrack. I think it sounds yes, really cool. I love it. <laughs> and, and there's many reasons for why that's the case, I would say, Casey, because um, like we said, there's those four remixes and like they, they didn't they didn't slouch on who to get for the remixes, so the, the two main headliners, I would say, uh, you've got Mick Gordon in here, who would go on I to do the that. Doom soundtrack and Doom Eternal. Um, and then you also have, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this pronunciation, but uh, you've got Ramin Dijwadi, who did the Iron Man uh, 1 soundtrack as well. So there's t the other t the other two guys as well they're pretty well known uh, within video games uh the name escapes me but the guy who did the project car soundtracks also worked uh, on this uh steven Bastard, i think his name yes is. yeah that's the one and the thing about the soundtrack is like um the four remixes as you guys all know you've got like the kind of menu themes which are known as the gladiator themes that's what they're coined as in the album and that's like the kind of hype up pre-race soundtrack that plays um, before you choose what event you're going into. Uh, during the races, there are no uh, soundtracks that play, because this is a sim, of course. <laughs> and, um, and then once you finish the race, and this is the cool part like about the sound design. That I, The reason I talk about the sound design first in this game is because I think it ties up everything else I'm going to talk about nicely. When you finish the race, the song that plays at the end of the race will be a remixed version of what you heard in the menu. Oh. And if you win, there's like the victory theme that plays of the song you heard pre-race, or if you finished, I think it's Below Third that plays a, a dirty remix, it's called, which is more of a kind of downbeat, 
kind of, oh, you'll get a next time type version. But it's really fucking cool, and I, I didn't actually realise this tie-in until I revisited the game recently, but yep, whatever song plays in the menu, the Gladiator theme that plays in the menu, uh, will either lead to a victory version of that song post-race, or a you'll get a next time type remix. And um, the remixes in this, um, in this game, they're fucking fantastic. They're very... They're very original, like, they don't feel lazy at all, like, they, they sound like distinct songs that, like, you would listen to the original, of course, and that is the best version of the song in terms of listening uh, experience when you're not playing the game, but the way they're mixed within the game, there, there was obviously a lot of effort spent to get it right, because it's only ten songs, which is a pretty small licensed song list, but because they're mixed four times, you kind of, you get used to the the kind of vibe they're looking to create, because like you say, you've got Hollywood Undead here, Rise Against. It's a very gritty soundtrack, and it's probably one of the few racing games from this era that didn't have any drum and bass in sight, let's be honest. <laughs> I, I really do like the like the atmosphere, and the music adds a lot to it, like the menus, like you said, the, like the gladiator theme thing. Um, like, the atmosphere of this game is, like you said, kind of unmatched. I think the only game that comes to mind for something that's tried something similar was uh, last year's Grid reboot. Like, the the, the yep. reveal trailer for Grid 2019, just immediate shift to uh, vibes is what it gave me. I don't know if that, if that came to either of your minds when you watched it. Um, I don't know, the, like, like, like the authenticity above the driving experience they were going for was much less in like a like a simulation type authenticity i feel and more of like a sensation yeah. and experience and you can feel that through yeah. like all of like the games um the way it frames like the cutscenes and such but also like the one of the big features i remember being like taught when this one was uh, coming about was uh the new helmet cam where instead of just being in yeah. first person you're in uh it's got like a helmet uh, overlay where you see like the borders of your helmet's visor and like the, the padding and such and your uh your vision blurs with the speed and your character automatically looks into corners uh I thought that was really interesting, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen another game do that. But I remember like really, really liking that. And I uh, back when this game was semi-new, I would play this. I would like do single races at night um, with the HUD turned yeah. off in that camera view, and it just felt like one of the most immersive racing experiences. I think like. When we talk about simulation, we we often talk about uh, the driving experience being simulation. Uh, like Gran Turismo, of course, real driving simulator. But like you were saying, Casey, um, this was this was a simulation of what drivers experience during a race, or rather, what that's what they were going for. And um, I was just looking up some kind of comments from the dev team and stuff, and that's what uh, Marcus Nielsen, who is the producer of the game, said basically, um, saying that at the time they had to make a decision with the t the technology that was available. They could have went for what they described as the bland graphics of Gran Turismo Forza, or you can try and push the bar for what consoles can do through other means, that emotional connection the driver feels, what they're seeing, allowing, and this is once again his words, little bits of crap from the car in front hitting you, <laughs> the, gravel, uh, the gravel and rubber on the track, um, and trying to basically emulate as well, especially in the night races, how, how much a race can change 
if the lights on your car start flickering and stuff, and that's something that actually happens in Shift 2 a lot. Um, and I don't know if it's scripted or not, but basically a lot of the time racing at night, the, the, the kind of headlights of cars will occasionally flicker or just die out entirely, and then that just kind of dials up the kind of horror movie aesthetic they had going on. And like you were saying as well, the, the kind of cockpit cam and the, the, the dedicated helmet cam they do a really good job of kind of amplifying the sound around without just like increasing the bass of the car in terms of how the car sound. They sound very kind of aggressive and uh, angry, even when you're driving like Civics at the very start of the, the campaign. It just does a really good job of adding a level of authenticity that you would imagine would be the case when you're trying to drive these machines in these events, especially um, in the, the kind of officially licensed series that were in there as well. And yeah, I think Slightly Mad Studios, they've always kind of been intrigued by that idea. Like, making a driving simulator is hard in its own right. Making an, an emotional and emotive driving sim, that's something that I, I don't think, I still don't think it's been achieved yet. But I think Shift 2 did a really good job of showing how far you could go with that concept and keep pushing it forward. And it's funny because I would like to know how much of like Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s like lines are scripted. Because when he's describing racing in the series that you're entering, you would think he was like saying you're basically going to war or something. <laughs> it's like, you'll be versing the hardest drivers and the craziest cars. And it's like Honda Civic Touring Cars or something. <laughs> he's, like, he's just like so over the top about everything. And it, it ties the, the whole game together nicely. And the weird thing about it is that it's still a game with a lot of content. There's like 40 locations in here. There's fictional city circuits, some of which are going to be returning in Project Cars 3, judging on that reveal trailer. And, um, yeah, there's 40 New World locations and, like, 140 cars or something like that, and it's, it's, that's not a bad content list, to be honest. Yeah, interesting uh, thing about the circus in this game that I remember, this might have been Shift 1 instead, uh, but it probably appeared in 2 as well, is that they have a, uh, a Monza short course. Like, they, they yeah, invent yeah, all of these, too. like, shorter, like, kind of, like, national or club versions of tracks that don't have them. Which is really weird because for a while I was like, isn't there like a Monza? Like there's a short version of Monza, right? And it's like, <laughs> no, that doesn't exist. Also, the um, like the Nürburgring Mullenbach or something like that is something that doesn't really exist outside of, I think, maybe like this and Forza. So like, yeah, they, they, they took liberties. I, I think they were good ones. Uh, the, the one thing, you were, you were mentioning that quote from uh, Nielsen. The one thing that I'll push back on is like, well, you know, it's really easy to not make a bland racing game when you only have 30 frames per second to worry about, but that's, you know... <laughs> okay, Funnily enough, that's, enough. The, that's the exact um, response to somebody asking about the 60 frames per second question. So they were getting asked, why are they not aiming for that? That's, and, that's what you debutted with. And look, I'm, I'm hardly the type of person, I don't think every single racing game or every single game needs to be 60 frames per second. I think people need to back off a little bit. Um, but look, you make you make a decision. Do you want to kind of drive up the post production and all of those like cool emotional effects that, that you were talking about that I think are largely successful in this game or and good, or do yeah. you want to make it about, you know, millisecond like like frame by frame accuracy in physics? Like that's that's just a a toss up that, that you, you have to, you know, fall on one side or the other for, especially during that generation. And we'll see what happens in the future with like PS5 and the Xbox and everything, but like that's the yeah. way games have always been. So, you know, it's it's 
It is interesting because I feel like Grid was the first racing game that really decided to do that. Like, let's make an experience that sensibly looks realistic, but it's not so much about how it feels. It's about yeah. how it ties into all of those kind of like um, uh, calling cards of actual racing. The smoke, the crashes, the tires, the the way the AI can hold a grudge, the you know those those little like little details uh that shift kind of take shift kind of took that and ran with it to like a further degree than grid ever did and sometimes it felt a little bit ham-fisted in my opinion like i there was always a weird thing that would happen when you drive over like the marbles uh off the racing line in that game where you'll just hear like horses galloping and that was really weird (laughs) um but sometimes like you know the sound design was actually pretty impressive uh it was you know it it it, it was a concerted artistic choice that they made and because a lot of games at the time you know you really had it was this and grid that were only trying to do it uh it did feel kind of like a fresh take on on racing games and on like motorsports focused racing games i think like the crashes especially in this game are phenomenal and like if you if you can consider the way shift 2's crashes take place compared to like the, the gran turismo's and the forza like you can even from that single comparison you can see where the focus was and um it's just odd though as well because we know that they were EA especially very much wanted this to be a sim. Like they say, they they think that the Shift series could compete and ultimately become market leading in the simulation authentic motorsport segment. They, they genuinely believed that Shift would be able to kind of upheave Gran Turismo and Forza, which is silly because like this game clearly had a different vision. It's not really in comparison with those games. But then I say that in the game also has like real-time telemetry data that can be viewed and um, there are there are times where the, the, the overall spectacle of things can make you think you can do stuff in the cars that just isn't possible because at its heart this is still a game that's replicating car behaviour pretty closely. Um, visiting it on PC was great because it has an uncapped frame rate which is pretty impressive to be honest because a lot of Need for Speed games on PC would cap the frame rate at 60, I believe, like Rivals Rivals stuff. is capped at 30, actually. Uh, 30? If you, if you oh uncap God, it, it runs in fast motion. <laughs> yeah, I remember that YouTube video <laughs> from way back, and laughing so hard. But yeah, like, so games around that time, uh, the other Need for Speed games, I'm pretty sure they were coming with capped frame rates, so um, Slightly Mad Studios left it uncapped, so it's great, you can go back and play the PC version, and it, like, it runs phenomenally. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I've been really shocked by, going back and playing it, because I've been using a wheel this time around as well, so not using a controller. And it's just a really, it's a really fun experience. Like, I, it, I'm not going to give it a pass for it, the fact that on a controller, it gets borderline unplayable when you start getting into the faster cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah, that's my lasting, <laughs> that's my issue with this game. That's my lasting yeah. memory. Is like I'll never forget. And again, I can't remember whether it was the first one or this one, but like maybe the fourth event that you do in the game is like here, drive a Veyron on the Nurburgring against like a Zonda <laughs> R. And I'm like, this is not a good idea. And your physics are not adequate to make this an enjoyable experience. Like at 30 the, frames as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about I feel, it um 
Saigon. The low power cars were fine. Like I remember driving like a Magan or an Elise. Those were cool. But anything with more than like 400 or 500 horsepower, it, it got pretty dicey pretty quick. Something that I think uh, Slightly Mad has always kind of done is they've kind of tailored their experiences towards wheels. And I think that uh, I was super hyped for Project Cars when it was first coming out. Like, I remember looking at all those screenshots of, like, all the individual raindrops on the car and the pit lane and all that. And just being like, oh, this is the future. And then I remember the day Project Cars came out, just kind of being disappointed with how hard it was on a controller. Maybe this is just me being young at the time and never really giving it another shot after that. Um, but on a controller, I just never felt like Slightly Mad's games worked all that well. Uh, Shift 2 Unleash was fun yeah. with the wheel, but I was, again, young, so I was bad with it. Because I didn't know how to drive a, a real car, much less a, a fictional race car. But um, I had a hard time with uh, Slightly Mad's later games on pad. I think this one wasn't quite as difficult as Project Cars was because it wasn't quite as realistic. Um, but something that Slightly Mad has done with these games, I feel like, is uh, try, like, like we've been saying, is give you the sensation of racing and of like being in motorsports versus driving a car. And their concepts they took with. Uh, project cars and started with like you starting from kart racing and working your way through the disciplines and building a career that is uniquely yours i feel like that's a really interesting concept and it makes me wonder what might have been if slightly mad didn't fall out with ea the way they did uh because like i feel if 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 slightly mad and ea had stayed working together we would have gotten a shift three or maybe a new need for speed game uh and maybe they wouldn't have gone so far in the sim direction uh, that they ended up going, at least from my understanding of these of the Project Cars games. I haven't played that much of them. Uh, but continued to do something like Shift 2 Unleash and maybe refined it and made it not quite as uh, extreme about it and uh, <laughs> gone in a direction that allowed them to like experience, experiment with like stuff like the helmet cam and like the way that your character like gasps and like does <sighs> after you crash and the screen goes white and all that like that's <laughs> that stuff is cool i think that was a really cool idea yeah. and it's, it's unique and it's what set this game apart from something like gran turismo and forza because in terms of actual driving you aren't going to compete with those games on your first or second attempt there's no way and then also the the astronomical cost of developing a game that looks as good as this and adding new cars to it plus the, all the in-depth modification stuff they did that just was not happening so i think the decision yeah. to take it a different direction was smart i i was impressed um the first time i played any of the shift games with just how polished these were um you know in spite of the control issues you you had all of the the production elements that we're talking about in a game that like looked really good, and it was only thirty frames per second on console, sure, but it moved really smoothly. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I remember details like one of the tracks had like you know was was set in the fall and had like falling leaves and stuff. And, and those are things that you never really saw from Gran Turismo or Forza that that you could do with like a you know a game that was running at thirty frames or whatever. But they took advantage of all of it, and it just felt like a a super AAA product. And that was always kind of the interesting dichotomy for me between Shift and Project Cars. Obviously, Project Cars was definitely a more realistic thing. They didn't have the um, 
I don't even want to say guiding the, the the forceful hand of EA to to make the game you know come out at a certain date or do do whatever it was that they wanted it to, but um, yeah. it, it's it is interesting to think about an alternate universe in which Shift got to continue, uh, because Slightly Mad Studios um, I forget their origin completely. I know I know that they were kind of derived from a studio that made PC uh, racing games before. But, you know, their first yeah. product as a studio was Shift, and I don't know how long they had to develop it, but I just remember being incredibly impressed with how polished that game was. And then, unfortunately, you know, in spite of the issues I have with it, Shift has never been one of my favorite racing games, but just impressed with the polish. But then, you know, turning to Project Cars, they kind of went off on their own, obviously. They didn't really have, yeah. have a, a big publisher money, big producer money behind it. So it, it just it just felt like more of an independent project, which is fine, but it's something that I really missed moving to Project Cars because I feel like a lot of the things that distinguished the slightly mad uh, Need for Speed games uh, were kind of missing. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, the, the physics were more realistic or whatever. It's like also just kind of the, the polish and the pizzazz that they put on it that was, that was really unique. Yeah, I think... Um it's funny because um, the Project Cars games still kind of claim to have the same mantra, like it's about replicating the experience of being a racing driver. But I guess that's the the, the kind of the duality and approach that you can go with. It's the idea of pret pretending to sign contracts for certain race series and driving cars, or it's the actual feeling of driving these cars and seeing how to experience it. And we haven't really had a merge of both of those elements. And I guess in many ways you could say Slightly Mad Studios would be the best prepared to give that a go, but also um, they're a, a studio that I think has fantastic ideas and they get a, a good amount of stuff right. But almost always with every one of their products, there's the but, there's the it's great, but yeah. whatever. And I think that's really the unfortunate part. <laughs> Well, fortunately, you know, Project Cars 3 is happening, and I, I don't want to speak to the whole, is it sim, is it not? I don't really give a shit, and we'll find out when we actually play the game. But in terms of the, the yeah. noises they're making about the career mode, um, about sort of the, the taking your car, because one thing that we haven't talked about Shift was it had that really interesting um, element where you, you kind of got to purchase a car and then over time make it into a, you know, works race car was, I think... Yeah. The, the phrase that they use in that game, which is kind of taking the Gran Turismo racing modification idea and just fleshing it out to give it more of kind of like a narrative context. And that was really, really cool. And that's something that they're apparently, from what it sounds like, looking to do with Project Cars 3. So, you know, Project Cars 3, uh, you know, without... I know I'm taking the conversation away from Shift, but... Um, <sighs> it has the potential to kind of meld everything that this studio has learned over the last, like, you know, God, like 12, 13 years. Um, and I'm excited for it for that reason. So, so for like, we'll see. Yeah. As far as uh, the future of that series, like I, again, have not read all of the articles about the project cars three stuff. I've seen some of like the people being like, it's going to be super arcadey and people saying it's not, it's not shut up. Um, like, <laughs> I think that if it goes a little bit more in the shift direction in terms of how realistic it is, that could be good for it. Because I think that Project Cars has basically become the game for people with wheels, and that's really it. And I think for them to find commercial success, yeah. they need to tap both markets. But also, I feel like it's just going to be a better game 
in my opinion, if it is, like, not just for people who want to, like, learn how to drive these cars in this game specifically. It doesn't need to be, like, that, that's always the issue I have with this. It's like, oh, if we don't design the game for a wheel, I'm slightly mad in saying this, but fans are. If they don't design the game for a wheel, then, like, pad players will have it too easy and whatever, like... I played the Settle Corsa Competizione with an Xbox One controller. Now, granted, that's not the best way you want to play that game, but it was perfectly playable, and I had a great time, and that's a good game. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, Gran Turismo Sport is sublime with a DualShock 4. Uh-huh. Almost so perfect that, like, I don't even think or question about whether or not I should be playing it with that versus a wheel because yeah. it's just so good on the controller. Like, you you know these things are not mutually exclusive my short time with gt sport i was again playing with the ds4 and um it really did just like i couldn't do it now because you have to it does have a learning curve but once you get it like it it, it feels some of the like the tightest simulation racing controls i've ever felt on a controller uh for gt sport they could do something like that but i, I just think going back to the uh whole project cars versus smith uh, smith uh, shift dichotomy i've got matrix on the brain still um uh like project cars feels like they're trying to replicate the experience of being a motorsports driver but without any of the atmosphere of shift yeah the feeling it, it feels very i don't know what the word i'm trying to find is like maybe sterile s- sterile yeah <laughs> sterile is a good word it doesn't have like all of the all of the uh atmospheric music and i'm not saying they need to go like full like crashing and slow motion and von gittin jr (laughs) but because honestly i liked the first game's announcer a lot better than von gittin jr i i I miss that guy um but i i think something of a middle ground could be a good turn for the series i think that sorry i'm glad it, it's it's worth pointing out too. Like last episode, we talked about Pro Street. That game cultivated a really really nice, yeah, like kind yeah. of grassroots local motorsports vibe that felt realistic, but also like like this couldn't really happen because like no one has this much money to spend on these events. But if they did, this is how it would look and it would be awesome. And uh, Shift carried that pretty well. Um, you know, you didn't really quite have like the pre race like you know, hearing, like, about the other competitors and whatever over the PA system and stuff. But but it was still uh, a very rich environment to be in. And I think, unfortunately, like, I, I feel like in the case of Project Cars, I, I don't necessarily think that was a concerted decision. I think it's just time and budget and money. And when you have EA behind you, you can do pretty much anything you want to do as long as they'll, you know, as long as they let you because um, you have all the resources. Uh and I feel like, you know, with Codemasters now being part of it and they, and they have the relationship with Bandai Namco, Project Cars 3 could go back to that a little bit. Ultimately, we'll see. Um, but yeah, the environment is something that, that I guess when I was saying like I miss in the in the transition of Project Cars, that was something that I I did miss because it, it just added a lot, especially given the, the, the original pitch for Shift was like, you know, we we could try and do something that was like as sterile as a Gran Turismo, but we don't want to. And then that's a way yeah. that that game stood out. No, totally agree. I mean, uh, to also kind of bring it back to the idea of Shift 3 and what that potentially could have looked like, I mean, I think it's kind of well known at this point that Slightly Mad Studios and EA had quite the fallout. And there's a, 
There's a fantastic uh, live interview that Ian Bell delivered uh, because, of, <laughs> of course, the, the guy, uh, he, he loves a good chat. He um, went on a, a live stream, I think it was Spot the Aussie, uh, the, the streamer's called. Um, well, he was playing Project Cars 2 and talked about Shift and the relationship with EA. By the sounds of it, like they basically they finished Shift 2 and then they got like a month or two into actually Shift 3 and what that was going to be and their ideas for it, whatever. Um, just prior to that, EA had been like, we'll give you $1.25 million not to talk to anybody else, not to consider any other games at the moment, focus on Shift. And then um, Patrick Soderlund, I believe it was, or I believe it is, that's like EA's head, or maybe he's left now, Yeah, yeah. Um, pulled the plug when they started moving things around. But interestingly, one of the, the stipulations in the contract with Slightly Mad Studios was that EA took all IP access and control of the technology that Slightly Mad Studios had made. Prior to Ian Bell signing that contract, he moved all the technology ownership to a third-party holding company. That's brilliant. So, basically, when EA came knocking and said, right, we're taking your personnel, we're taking your technology, um, Ian Bell said, well, no, you're not, because that technology is owned by whatever the company was called, um, and that wasn't who you had the contract with, so check your contract, mate. <laughs> that's, like... That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. And that's so that's so yeah. great, because what would have happened, you know, I mean, like, look, I know Ian Bell's out, outspoken and whatnot, but seriously, I feel like that was the right move, because what would have happened, yeah. EA would have taken the technology, they probably would have made one more shift game, who knows who would have developed it, and that would have been it. Yeah. That would have been the end of the series, and we, would, we never would have seen that engine... Project Cars never would have happened because the whole reason that Project yeah. Cars could happen is so that Which they had know, the madness. They engine. had the yeah. madness engine. They could build off of the foundation they created. Yeah, yeah it's it, that's an amazing Ian story. I didn't know that. Ian's own words, and I'm not dicing with anything here. Exact quote is: "EA tried to kill our studio." That is the way he words it. He <laughs> says that slightly mad studios would have just been dead in the gutter if they had taken all the technology and personnel yeah. and then there's also there's a funny kind of addendum onto the story where like a few people did go to work for EA rather than stay with Slightly Mad and then things fell through with EA and he welcomed them back to Slightly Mad Studios in open arms because he says he doesn't hold a grudge so it's a six hour interview it's fucking long but there are so many nice little tidbits in there and it's just funny how like he said this stuff about EA in like a 45 minute discussion <laughs> And it's just like he's just talking as if he's at the pub or something. Like he just it <laughs> isn't like a business discussion or trying to make it sound bigger than it is for the sake of drama. Like this interview exists, and I'm pretty sure a lot of like games media and everything don't know it. But he basically talks about like the inner workings of EA and what they tried to put in that contract so that slightly like, my studios would be tied in. The fact that they offered that cash before shift free. The fact that that like, made Ian realise that EA were about to do something bad, like, to, to know that basically EA were putting money on the table to try and kill the studio and stuff, the way he puts it, is, oh, it's insane, it's an, a very interesting interview and it's definitely worth watching. I'm gonna check it out once we're done. I've always had respect for, um, Slightly Mad, even though I've not enjoyed their, like, their, uh, post-Need for Speed output quite as much as I did Shift 1 and 2 when they were new, um, I've always had respect for them because I feel like they've always been a like a smaller name in the racing game scene that is continually getting smaller, as you guys well know. Uh, we're going from you know back in the PS2 era when Need for Speed really got its like its like blowing up period. Um, there were hundreds of racing games for like the Xbox and PS2 
that either they were a series that died out around that time, or just, like, one-offs that never, nothing ever came out of them afterwards. Like, there's so much, there's so, sorry, there's so fewer racing games now than ever. And I think that them being a smaller name in the uh, quote-unquote AAA, maybe like a middle market type deal, is kind of meaningful to me because they're really one of the only few teams left doing that. Because you think about who's making racing games now, you've got you've got um, Ghost slash Criterion with Need for Speed now, you've got uh, Turn 10 and Playground with, with Forza, and you've got Polyphony with GT. I mean, that's really it unless i'm forgetting anything there's not much in the way of racing games coming out anymore so i, I think that th a team trying new things and not just trying to clone gt as so many people used to is really cool even if it's not quite like of a t they've always had this amazing ability to punch above their weight i think that's yeah. it. that's <laughs> that's what slightly mad is all about um it, it's honestly it should be unthinkable that like I feel like they never get enough credit for the sheer, not just the volume of content that their games have from a studio that small, but also the choices that they make. Like, they're the only game that has, like, classic versions of, like, Le Mans and, like, old and, like, you know, famous circuits, and, and they'll go back and do a classic version of that. And that even goes back to something that we, we haven't even touched on. Um was uh what was a test drive ferrari legends or right. something like that that was a slightly mad time. Yeah. and yeah. and that was them taking their engine you know after shift and and using it in that way and um it, it kind of it does feel like an interesting inflection point uh like on the road to project cars that the stuff that they will be making later and obviously it you know relies upon the same technology and they've just had a, a really good ability to just respond to what people want and what their fans want like i you know i i don't think that we necessarily have the right to ask turn 10 or polyphony like put this car in the game but <laughs> like if you go through the car lists and project cars it's amazing they have cars in those games that don't exist anywhere else that like you know people yeah. have like wanted a silhouette skyline in gran turismo since fucking gt2 and polyphony hasn't done it but they they put one like they put the R30 silhouette in Project Cars and that's just one example yeah. of a number of of cars and car classes that they do really well. They they're also really good at realizing like hey, you know, it doesn't really like we can put an E30 DTM touring car in this game, sure, but like if it doesn't have anything to compete against, then there's no reason that one car should be in this game. Like it need we need to put the 190E yeah. in as well or like an Alpha touring car. And so yeah, they, they just have a very good understanding of how to make a fleshed-out experience that gives people what they want. You know, the execution, we can debate about that, but I, I feel like their heart's always been in the right place. Even even the existence of Project Cars, like, it's literally called Community Assisted Racing Simulator. Like, Which I always forget that... what it stands for. <laughs> I didn't know that. Like, the fact that this exists and people believed in the project enough to fund it, like, that... It, we don't like your saying, Casey, like, in terms of racing games and stuff nowadays, it's hard for the big guys to make it work. So the fact that they were just out cards in the open, we've got this really quality engine that we like working in, let's make a fucking crazy game. <laughs> and it happened. Right. And um, 
yeah, it's just it's the cost of making games has just absolutely ballooned in the last fifteen years. And you know, in the '90s, anybody could put together a small studio and make a racing game, and it wasn't that big of a task. Like, obviously, I don't, I don't mean to downplay '90s developers in any way, shape, or form, but you think about what it costs to make a game then with licensed cars versus now the licensing is just millions upon millions of dollars and you has to look as good as everything else on the new engines if it wants to, if you have a, a stand a chance to hope to compete and the amount of people you have to have to make these things it's just astronomical how much it costs to make these games and counting Slightly Mad as a little guy is kind of cheating because they did have EA money to fund the creation of what would be their backbone later on, and they were only able to do what they did because of uh, some smart legal trickery, which, uh, sure, yeah. go you guys, <laughs> proud of you. Um, <laughs> but I-, I still think it's remarkable that they exist and are doing what they're doing because... It, it's they're like a like a studio that despite existing in the 2010s are just really of a early 2000s spirit where, where things like what they're doing were much more possible absolutely i i love that that brief uh not too brief little project cars discussion we had in the middle of this need for speed podcast that's great <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we always do that there's always like one other game that creeps in in project golf it's forza horizon i mean it's a very <laughs> you know this is a genre that is very incestuous obviously it's uh yeah. I, mean, I didn't even know about the test drive link with the early need for speed games so, <laughs> so it's just history repeating itself um with that said uh do we want to move on to the final game I'm ready if you are. All right, let's do it. So, Need for Speed Rivals. This is going to be a bit of a divisive discussion, I feel like, because this is the start of um, the new era of Need for Speed under Ghost Games, which has, I mean, technically ended, but also calling this the start is a bit debatable, too, because Criterion Games, maker of the Legendary Burnout series, um, this was, uh, they were reformed into Ghost to make Rivals after making Hot Pursuit 2010. And um, if we can start out with like a, like a small little bit about Hot Pursuit 2010. Did y'all play that when that was new? Yes. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. To me, that was, I think, the first game I remember looking at um, and thinking that it was just absolutely the prettiest games could get. Hot Pursuit absolutely. 2010 was just a new age of graphics for racing games i feel that not even really forza had gotten yet that game's lighting effects and the texture quality and the model quality like it maybe doesn't hold up quite as well on consoles now uh pc still looks great but on consoles maybe it looks a little bit more dated than i remember with aliasing and stuff but at the time playing that game was just absolutely the prettiest thing in the world and i think a lot of people regard that game as a really good note in the Need for Speed franchise. Like, in the modern games, which are so divisive, all, like, from entry to entry, things like it changes in, in quality and tone and focus so much. Um, Rivals doesn't have that, like, well-remembered, like, hive mind around it, the way that Hopper 2010 does. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but, so did y'all play Rivals when it was new? And do you have memories of it yeah yeah i do remember playing it um mostly because 
Uh, this is like such a, a simplistic thing to say, but I thought the cover was absolutely banging. <laughs> like I love the art on the front of the, the the kind of the case of the game. Um, the experience of playing the game itself, unfortunately, it was um, it kind of signified everything I was not enjoying about Need for Speed at the time when it started to gamify the whole red versus blue thing a bit too much. So it, it it's not really my favourite, I would say. I, uh, I I enjoyed Rivals. It was you know I got it as a PS4 launch title. Um, it's weird. I loved I loved Hot Pursuit 2010, but it wasn't a perfect game for me um, until I eventually played it enough and realized like wait, this is this isn't a remake of Hot Pursuit or Hot Pursuit 2. This is a remake of Need for Speed One, which is actually kind of an interesting discussion to, huh. to, to have in this episode that we start. But that's always the way I interpreted that game, simply because the tracks are so wide, they are so fast. Yeah. You really never have to worry about about you know course design that's going to catch you out. It's just kind of a top speed sort of racing game through amazing locales, which was sort of how the first game sort of in retrospect kind of felt um you know the locales obviously weren't as interesting but but hot pursuit 2010 is the type of game that i look at and i'm just like this is probably the closest to driving through a brochure or like um you know like a car ad like a top gear i guess the best way to put it would be like a top gear from that time period when they would do like the the car test of like the new mclaren and they would drive down like the amalfi coast or something like that that's the feeling, like that cinematography, those views, that's the feeling I got from Hot Pursuit 2010. So when I couched it and all of that, I could enjoy the game. Most Wanted, I, Most Wanted 2012, I don't like at all. Um, but we, that's a whole that's other thing. That's for another know. day. Brendan and I could could fight over for the next hour. Um, <laughs> so so I was kind of like uh, in ins and outs of Need for Speed, uh, and then Rivals showed up and. It's it's a shame because I have not been able to play this game in like six years, but I seem to remember the physics actually be pretty good, um, far better than the previous Criterion uh, Need for Speeds. I, I got on with it pretty well. It just felt really bare bones to me. I think that's what the thing. It just felt like there wasn't a whole lot to do, and it was a little bit too reliant on like asynchronous gameplay and all the log and stuff like that to the point where. Uh, you know, if you didn't have anyone else who also had the game, there was almost no reason to play it. Yeah, I, so, full disclosure, I also, like you, had this game as one of my first games I got for my Xbox One. I went, I went green, again, this this generation, but um, at first, I absolutely fucking hated this game. I, I did not like Rivals at all, and I had this negative opinion of it that lasted until last year. Um, and I, I think that a lot of uh, people maybe didn't play it because the 360 and PS3 ports were not terrible, but they just kind of looked like absolute shit. And um, I think that the marketing also probably put people off because the marketing of this game, if you remember, and it just like it, it's also just the game's like story and cutscenes, absolutely absurdly terrible, and not like in a in like a. a Oh, that's so awful! Like it's a low quality kind of way. It's like a, it's polished, it's high quality, but it's just fucking goofy. You cannot take this game seriously because it's like you can't catch devils with angels, and like I am not you. I'm the person you're afraid to be. 
with like <laughs> I don't I don't remember any of you don't that. Remember I guess that? I just like blocked it out of my oh, mind. Oh god, yeah. you're, you're repressing the trauma <laughs> of playing through this game Apparently. for the first time. <laughs> it's like the whole concept of it is like the whole police versus racers thing from uh Hot Pursuit 2010 taken to an extreme where they're all monologuing and it's just oh, it's one of the worst things I've ever heard. Some of the worst writing I have ever heard in any game, ever. And I think that kind of colored everybody's, like, perception of this game, either going into it or was their justification for skipping it. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'll be honest, the reason I played it was simply because there were no racing games at the mm-hmm. PS4's launch. I mean, you know, Drive Club didn't make it. We wouldn't get that for, like, another year. Gran Turismo was nowhere to be found. Oh, boy. So I was like, well, if I want to play a racer, it's got to be Need for Speed Rivals. And I was actually pleased with it. I mean, look, I don't think I would have enjoyed that game if it came out two or three years later um, just because, you know, I played it because of necessity. Um, But, yeah, I mean, to me, if anything, it's really weird in the context of the games that Ghost would later make that are absolutely, to me, nothing like this. Um, You know, 2015, Payback, and Heat are just a totally different kind of experience compared to Rivals. Rivals is this weird in-between, for me, between, like, Golden Era, original Need for Speed, but also, like, 2010 Hot Pursuit and also Most Wanted. It mixes a little bit of everything. Um, There's, like no customization if i remember correctly uh which is fine but it's just it just seemed like a game it seemed like a starter game for them which you know it was their first but it it feels it definitely shows it to me so this was very much like a product i think of its time as well because the the launch of the eighth gen consoles had this massive push for like you know, smartphone or second screen integration and always online and, like, drop in, drop out, like, uh, persistent world, stuff like that. And um, I, I think that the, uh, this era, like, the 2010 to 2013, like, run, or that, that run of, like, Rivals, Most Wanted 2012, and Hot Pursuit, that was, like, to me, a combination of Burnout and 90s Need for Speed. And I think it works. I think it works really well. And like I said, I hated this game at first, but I revisited it last year, and I actually ended up really, really enjoying Rivals. And I think this might be one of my favorite implementations of Always Online in a racing game, because if there's nobody to play with, and surprisingly, there are a lot of people still playing this game online, at least on Xbox, um... It fills it with AI, and you really wouldn't know the difference in most cases. And I honestly would prefer to not play against other humans because it exposes how not good I am at racing games sometimes. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) like, it it feels like... uh, it, It brings back almost most wanted 2005 memories of pursuits and stakes, where there is something at stake and it's not that you're going to lose money it's not that you're going to lose a car it's that you have to do this again you have to do all of these tasks on your speed list and you have to get away with it and get back to the safe house or you have to do all of these things as a cop and then safely return to 
your base. I think that's a really fascinating concept, and it really makes some, like, clenching moments when you're playing this game that I think there may not be that much longevity in it, but for, for as long as it lasts, it's just really, really, really good racing. I really want to go and revisit it, and luckily, it's it's the kind of game. It came out recently enough that I'm sure you could do that on PC. Um, it ties into something that Brenda and I were talking about with the last episode, uh, and that's it's funny. Like I know I had long pursuits in this game, but I don't think I remember them that fondly. And I think a lot of that has to do with I, I've had a real issue with the way that this series has approached pursuit since about. Hot Pursuit 2010. And, and that's one of the things that, like, is interesting about, like, I, I do really like Hot Pursuit 2010, but also is responsible for some of the things I haven't enjoyed about Need for Speed over the last decade. One of which is this idea that, like, the, the you know, the, the rivals or the racers have to have every single um, piece of equipment that the cops have, the racers have to have a counter for it. And it's this weird thing that maybe is, like, a totally, like, baseless stupid hot take to make but one of the things i really dislike about modern games is how balanced everything needs to freaking be all over the time all the time like there can't be one good gun in call of duty or like three everyone has to be shitty in different ways and it's like i don't think balance is like i think balance is important don't get me wrong and i think in some things like if we're talking about like balance of performance and like grand tourism of sport okay that yeah everything there i totally get it but if we're talking about more arcadey experiences or things that are ostensibly supposed to be more about fun, especially if they're more of a single-player thing, like, I, I don't think perfect balance is uh, both possible or even necessarily desirable. And, like, I think part of the fun in Hot Pursuit 2 and Most Wanted in those earlier games with Pursuits is that you were outmatched and like maybe you were a little bit more nimble than the police than the police could be but there were a lot more of them than there were of you and they didn't necessarily have to stop you they just had to get in your way and i just miss that i miss that idea like i don't want to think about all of the the emps and the radar jammers and the crap when i'm racing i want to race like that's the police's problem to worry about not mine so i, I have a real <laughs> i feel like i have this like underlying like beef with the whole like pursuit system in need for speed over the last decade that i've just like needed to just get out in the open uh this game kind of exemplifies it too i'm with you on that uh i feel like removing like the, i think the jammer probably should have stayed but like removing all of, like the emp all in spike strips and stuff that from, from the racers in the criterion games would probably make them better because like it would because both of those games hopper 2010 and um and uh, rivals, they both let you play as both a cop and a racer in separate campaigns, and I feel like it would make the variety feel a bit more um, pronounced if like racers didn't have a lot of the same tools and it wasn't just like a different flavor of the same mechanics. Uh, I, I so I, I can kind of appreciate that, and also another thing about the design of this game that made it feel a little bit uh, less tense than some of the older ones was that uh, because the racer or the police were supposed to be human opponents and when they're not human opponents they're replaced with a AI that's imitating a human opponent there are much fewer of them like there is backup but there's never like a most wanted sea of police cars behind you um, and so 
if that AI racer or the human racer crashes out before you do, you're basically scot-free away from them and you're just, like, waiting to run into another one. So, like... Uh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I actually... I was going to change the subject for a brief minute because when you said, like, not enough police cars, I was thinking about... I watched your, um... Was it Undercover uh. on PS2 video? <laughs> and one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen yeah. is... I think it was that one, right. right? Where it's like the cops will forget that they're, or you'll end the pursuit, right? But the cops will still be chasing you. And then one touches you, and all of a sudden, like six fall on your car. <laughs> I, I wish that was one of the funniest things I have ever seen. I think just like the, the, the part where it touches me, and then the other one just rams into me from behind at full speed and flips himself <laughs> over. I was like, where the hell did all of these cops come I, from? I, like, Jesus fucking Christ. I was looking at that video for some reason recently, and I remember, I wish I had noticed it when i was making the video if you look at the mini map you can see the moment where those other four cop cars spawn and they're just just suddenly a sea of red and blue flashing yeah that that kind of experience like yeah sure it's janky and hilarious but i think it was a good kind of janky and hilarious and there's another clip from that same video that i didn't end up using where i was afk like on my computer typing something and i had the game running on my second monitor and just had my controller set down and i was just sitting outside my garage and a cop bumps into me, and the same thing kind of happens, where, like, suddenly I'm, I'm in a heat level <laughs> 5 pursuit, and I have to scramble to grab my controller and run away. Like, Rival doesn't have anything like that, because it doesn't have as many AI cops, and I think that kind of is what's missing when it's such a, like, a PvP experience, first and foremost. Um, and I think that the PvE cop experience can't be matched by PvP. You can do it in a fun way, like Hot Pursuit 2010's online multiplayer, A1, but it can't be matched by, it can't, sorry, it can't match the PvP experience that the game has always kind of provided, even when it's at its most broken and obnoxious and unfinished as it was in Undercover PS2, uh, where you're dodging a roadblock every 10 seconds, not exaggerating. Like, I, <laughs> I did the math, that's how often you dodge roadblocks in that game. Like... Yeah, I think you said in your, in your pursuit you encountered 73 roadblocks. I think there were like 55 of them were like something like that. Like I just <laughs> I destroyed like like three like like 30 million dollars worth of Porsches in half an hour. Yes. Yeah, oh my god. I love I love the degree with which you went to like uh, uncover how stupid this is because like it's just so Yeah, <laughs> there were all they, they only made 150 of these cars and I just broke 100 of them. And also for some reason, why do they all belong to this police department? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so um, insanely absurd and hilarious that like Ah, oh, that that's what this franchise has always kind of been about. Like why why does the government have so many C six Corvettes and most wanted, and why are they all just willing to throw themselves off a cliff to to, to make sure that I get busted for doing sixty in a fifty five? <laughs> one of my favorite things one of my favorite things about Need for Speed Heat is how utterly like corrupt okay like police are corrupt fine but Topical. like how shameless they are about it exactly how shameless they are about it in Heat like how like i can't remember the name of like the police chief in heat but just how he's literally like i'm gonna fucking torture every single street racer i find like it's so like it's it's great because like it's hollywood but also it succeeds in making you like just fuck this guy right like, <laughs> like it's it, it's it's that most wanted thing of storytelling and I've, I've always kind of thought about like what would it take for a modern story 
in a racing game to be good, and this was pre-Heat coming out, uh, where I was thinking about how Most Wanted's story is just so fucking stupid. It's just so, it's so dumb, but, like, in a lovable way. It's so over-the-top that it feels almost believable <laughs> and, like, likable. Like, I don't care. It feels like a student film that benefited from, like, all this money to do the CGI and stuff. Right. Like, Cross as a character is just, like, such a dick. Like, there was nothing. He's just, like, so flagrantly just to tease your, your car. And, 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 like, that that just works, I feel like. And I feel like that's the same reason that Heat kind of just works. Uh, and... Oh, the cops and our souls and heat, aren't they? Right. <laughs> oh my god, they're just so fucking. And I love how I just love how stupid they are too. It's a great. I think it's a great game to play in this uh, modern context. If you if you oh want to uh, yeah. weaponize your anger towards police in any way, just go yeah. play heat. It's it's he, it'll the get, it's, it's, cop, a, it's a oh cathartic moment. Isn't, like it's a really cathartic game. Isn't the beginning of heat like them c- considering murdering a street racer? <laughs> Oh, totally. They just, they almost just fucking kill a man. I think, Brendan, oh, I think man. you pointed that out in the last episode. <laughs> Which is a little, oh, God, that's, oh, in, in retrospect, that is really yeah. topical right now. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. I can't remember. Do they, like, um, is it like they're going to shoot him, or is it, I think they're going to, like, push they're, him off they're the gonna, bridge, Because he crashed right? on the bridge, and they're thinking about pushing him off the bridge and saying he died in the crash. Yeah, right. It's right. to send oh a message god. as well. To send uh, a message. Evil tactic. Yeah, let's let's kill this. Uh, oh my god! They, like, they did a little bit. It's funny. Oh, it's funny as fuck as well. I can't remember. Um, what's the the main uh, lady character's name that you're friends uh, with? Oh, I can't god, remember any of their names. Oh, but like the guy who nearly gets pushed off the cliff, maybe or something. Maybe it might be something like that. Like the me, the guy who nearly gets killed is like, fuck, fuck this shit. I'm done. I'm done. And she's like. Why are you done? I need my crew to race. It's like the cops Anna, just Anna tried to kill me. Anna, yeah. yeah it's like, she's great. She's, she's, she's awesome. really cool. Um, but like, it's just funny in that scene because like she's just like, yeah, but we've got to win this free lap race around the city. <laughs> you can't believe <laughs> because you really get pushed off a cliff. <laughs> uh, it's that's the thing. Like playing Heat, it it just like I said, it made me miss those games. Realize how much I miss them, but also it made me miss like those stories as stupid as they are (laughs) they do work and like in this day and age when like finally as a culture collectively we all got past making fun of fast and furious movies we could just be like they're fun stupid popcorn like just they're 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 just fun they're just great for that reason we don't need to criticize them for not being art and i feel the same way about heat story it just it works for what it's supposed to do and and I enjoyed it. I, I actually like. I wish it went longer because it is kind of a short, uh, a short yeah, campaign. But that's you know that's par for the course with these kinds of racing I'm games. Saying, I'm never gonna stop bitching about how stupid the Lamborghini versus submarine thing is. <laughs> <laughs> I just love in the new Fast and Furious though how like they've literally played the Dom's brother card like absolute fanfiction.net tier stuff, <laughs> and they oh got John Cena to play him as well. Ah. Oh. Yeah, so incredible. It's gonna be good. With the whole thing with uh, the storylines and just the structure of the gameplay, I feel like Rivals got the structure of the gameplay right, but they do kind of mess up the atmosphere. And I think it's a lot of what makes it like not very well remembered. It's just that like Need for Speed has always been a series with a very strong sense of atmosphere, and 
as much people say identity crisis with all the new games, yeah, there's an element of that, but I think that not having a solid theme that stretches between every single game has always been this this series' thing. Like, outside of, uh, like, maybe high stakes in Hot Pursuit 1 and, like, the stretch of Underground 1 and 2, they've never kept the same idea going on very long. And, um... Yeah. I feel like with Hot, like most wanted 2012 and also uh, Rivals, they kind of lost that a little bit, and that's why people don't think about it very much. But this game, just I think it's very yeah. mechanically strong and fun, even if it's not your traditional Need for Speed experience. I think they did a great job of it. Like that risk of the of the gameplay is something that they didn't really get right again until uh, Heat's Pursuit Mode, where it feels like an actual fight to keep what you've earned. Even if Heat goes a little off course with it. I don't know. I, I think that was a really fun gameplay uh, evolution that I wish they ran with a little more in the subsequent games. It's probably the most mechanically correct of, of any Ghost Need for Speed title, to be honest. I mean, I, I'm fine with the way Heat drives, but it's still a little bit wonky. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I the the lack of identity of this game is something I never really thought about before. But you bring up a good point. Um, I, I you know most wanted twenty twelve isn't isn't the most iconic game in the world, but I think for that one going into it, I was like, all right, this is Burnout Paradise, but Need for yeah. Speed. Got it. Understood. That that is a statement in of itself because the series didn't really have that before. Um, and then after Rivals, you get twenty fifteen, which is like one of the the boldest like kind of visions uh atmospheres for a need for speed game that the series has ever had and it's actually kind of a shame that like that game is so broken mechanically because like it's a really cool vibe but rivals sits in between those two and kind of feels like a step back it kind of feels like it almost feels like they're doing to me like hot pursuit 2010 again but not as it's not as much of a statement and it just kind of felt like something they could put out between more important games to just have something out there for the launch of, of the eighth generation of systems. So it's a very, it's a very forgettable one, which is a shame because like, as you're saying, there, there are certain things about it that, um, that ghost really succeeded with that it would kind of have trouble with in future entries. Right. And I think that like they did kind of steal their own thunder in a way with uh hot pursuit 2010, just being like such a, groundbreakingly gorgeous game on the 360 that uh by the time they got to rivals it wasn't nearly as big of a leap i honestly think it doesn't look as good as the previous game because they had all these dynamic weather effects but let's be honest dynamic weather effects means that it's mostly raining it's either raining or it's just rained everything is slick with water oh there's always there's (laughs) always like water coming up off the road and like that kind of also makes it look very um samey i feel like because hot pursuit had hot pursuit had rain am i right yeah it had rain uh and it also had like post rain sunshines where there's like there's, there's water on the road and everything but it's like still bright and sunny and um there's like the snowy mountain area rivals is basically just a bunch of coastal roads snowy mountains and everything is covered in water so i think it does look a lot less visually unique and special as well um yeah, which is unfortunate because I think they could have done a lot more with uh, the next generation of consoles than they ended up doing, and they ended up doing what they what they should have with with uh, twenty fifteen. 
and made it look like its own game and its own visual style, which is nice, but I don't know. I, th I think that the world ended up being a lot, not very memorable, and the graphics just didn't add to it. So it, it's a shame because the mechanics are so good, but then everything else surrounding it is just kind of flat because it feels like they didn't have enough time or maybe they just didn't have an idea besides make an online PvP Need for Speed game. Yeah. You've you've echoed my feelings at least. Um, if we want to if we want to call this discussion there, I don't want to cut anyone off. I don't want to honestly. I want to cut it off here before I hear Brendan just uh, talk about how most wanted twenty twelve is his favorite game ever. You put words in my mouth, mate. <laughs> yeah. I honestly did like that game quite a bit when it was new. I gotta say, I got it for Christmas that year, and I remember. Uh, I don't know. I I don't play it very much anymore because starting it up again is just a pain in the ass because you have to go yeah. through all the tutorial and you've got to like upgrade all the cars and find all the car races again that's the pain in the ass to do again but that game's actual gameplay is quite enjoyable in my opinion i know it's burnout it's not really a true need for speed game if there is such a thing yeah. but i enjoyed it <laughs> it's um i the, the most offensive thing about it is the name yeah like they, they probably shouldn't have used the most wanted moniker let's be honest I think that was. I think Need that for was Speed Paradise. Yeah, well, I think that's literally what it was. What titles have have been brought out on Need for Speed that sound most similar to Burnout or give the same impression, and they, they ended up going with Most Wanted. Right, and it doesn't make any sense for it because it, it like nothing about Most Wanted made it into that game. Like nothing that people loved about Most Wanted. Well. The the original pitch for that was supposed to be much more right. than most wanted, right? Yeah, like there was yeah. and that's something so. that I actually didn't even know until like some members of the Time Extend community let me know. Yeah, uh, I think early part of this year or the end of last year, I was like, holy shit! I didn't know that it had this, uh, you know, awfully tumultuous development cycle. Um, There's a lot of but, oh, just like you're saying about that, something that just popped into my head. Sorry to interrupt, like. The blacklist being turned into some like auto log expansion thing, like the way it's displayed uh, and the way it's presented, is such a ugh, that that's on a level with blur dropping all the story stuff, so you can add friends into a party before you play online. That's I don't think I've ever been more <laughs> mad. Like like case you talking about um the way that Rivals was advertised and and just like the whole aesthetic of that game of the narrative. Uh, that's most wanted 2012 for me because I'll just never forget the game trying to get me angry and excited to take down a sentient Koenig Segagera that had the voice of a sexy lady um, and just expecting me to care and just expecting that to like be the thing that motivates me to beat this like four hour long game because there's also nothing in it. <laughs> yeah. That, that's anyway. that, and also that game is this is a bit of a side topic but there's that game is almost impossible to replay on pc because if you've played it before all of your uh speed points are uh yeah those they're, they're saved oh, to your origin account yeah. but your save game isn't oh, so you start wow. the game yeah. over with nothing unlocked and in the basic cars but you have all your speed points, so there's no, like, as soon as you have a car with some upgrades, you can just go challenge blacklist number one immediately, because yeah. there's no, you can't, <laughs> oh, so fucking stupid, so fucking stupid. It's yeah. like, this, <laughs> that, this two, the, the, that game and Rivals, there was no thought put into the PC versions, and that just kind of sucks. <laughs> because <laughs> your choice with playing Most One in 2012 is either to, um, 
play a console version which looks and runs like shit on account of being a, a, late, a very late 360 game, or um, have a gimped experience, and that 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 sucks. Yeah. Or get yourself a Vita and play that version because that is. I forgot game. about that. The, the Wii U Down version. to the fact that you can't <laughs> even like, you you can't even really see any of the menu items on the Vita screen because it is literally <laughs> yeah. the home console version. On like I don't know a, a five inch display or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's has. teeny and it, it it's also very very aliased, which I mean fair enough, but th- I shouldn't take away from that because that that's a very impressive Vita game. I remember having yeah, that when it was new. Definitely. Yep. That that was like yep. a full experience, and you know what? I think that might be the best place to play it, not because probably not because the other versions aren't good or because of the issues we discussed, just because of, like a game is like exponentially better when you can play it anywhere. I feel. Uh, yeah. and maybe less so today with the advent of a Switch and like with gaming laptops getting more affordable and not bricks, like they're not they're not just thick as hell. But um, being able to take them with you, like take that game with you back then, was a really cool thing to to the thirteen year old me in my in my PS Vita. <laughs> All right, well, whew, this this was a big show, but I actually I think this is one of the best ones we ever had. I really enjoyed yeah, this. this. Was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, in case I, I thank you for joining us. Um, is there anything you want to tease that you're working on aside from that uh, exciting Overdrive and video? Any any uh, anything you want? To uh, well, by the time this comes out, or hopefully, uh, my Test Drive Six video will be out, where I'm kind of delving into the history of that game and why, despite it being one of the worst video games I've ever played, I fucking love it. Um, it, it has a fantastic intro. It, it has a fantastic intro and soundtrack, and I don't know, cool vibe. So I, I'm having to have some fun with that. Other than that, not really. I'm just kind of working on what I want to work on. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Cool. Uh, where can people find you on the on the Twitters and the, the social media? Um, my Twitter is at Casey Calhoun, K-A-C-E-Y-C-A-L-H-O-O-N. And uh, my YouTube is just Casey. It'll be the second result after Casey Mosgraves, the country artist. Uh, my my actual <laughs> long-term goal was to overtake her in the search results, so uh, cross fingers for that. Um, or you can just do youtube.com slash KCTV, and it'll take you straight to me. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that channel out, because you've got, aside from Need for Speed, which you've covered extensively, really good PGR video, and I'm excited to see the test drive one. So, so cool. Um yeah, so thanks everybody for listening to this. Um, I I honestly don't even know how we could go back to Need for Speed now. I feel like we've just covered like twenty or twenty five years of history in the space of two hours and forty five minutes, which is a long time for this show, but really not a long time in the grand scheme of things. So thanks everybody, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening, guys.